Welcome to Brawny Conversations. I am Patrick Braun, your host. This podcast will provide our listeners with informative and entertaining discussions held with experienced people covering a wide range of topics. If you want to shorten your learning curve or just learn more about one of our topics, this is the podcast for you. Enjoy our discussion. Our expert guest today is Keith Sarloos. He is a creative and passionate soul who lives in the beautiful valley of Santa Inez in a town called Los Olives. I think that's right. The farm his family established in 1997 has grown from a cattle operation and grape farm to a world-class small production winery called Sarloos and Sons. The family story includes purchasing and running the local coffee shop when the family first moved to the valley. The shop was called the Roasted Bean and was often referred to as a living room of the valley. Community, serving others, working hard, and living a life of purpose is at the core of all the Sarloos family does. If you want to understand the foundation that the Sarloos family is built on, you could start with this phrase. Every bone in his hand was broken. He went down fighting. This is a tribute that Keith wrote about his brother Kirk that was republished in Sports Illustrated. More about this later. Keith now runs Sarloos and Sons and pretty much works with a small team to make the magic and the bottles happen. During our conversation, he'll be introducing us to his cherished farm and the wine business. He will also provide us with a perspective on key to living a successful and satisfied life. And then we'll learn about how Keith leverages social media to not only extend the reach of Sarloos and Sons, but to help help make the world just a little bit better through humorous and informative posts. Keith, welcome to Brawny Conversations podcast. And as you sit down for this conversation, what are your thoughts and expectations? Ooh. Well, number one, it's it's incredibly honored. I feel incredibly honored to be asked um, just to be here. My my expectations, uh, you know, in all honesty, it's I always love a Jacques Cousteau quote, which was um, if you get to live an interesting life, you have no <clears throat> I'm, blo- I'm totally butchering this. You have no uh, it's too selfish to keep it to yourself. And talking about our experiences, talking about, you know, what we do and why we do it. And if it can help anybody else along, that's what I'm here to do. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited about this conversation <laughs> in general. And, and I got to tell you, you know, we met by coincidence, the, uh, yeah, the how did we meet, right? That's the world's a, good a question. It's a very small place. And, mm-hmm. uh, I became a, became a big fan of your brother, through my son's involvement in baseball and travel baseball. And, and he was just an impressive character. And I've, I've never had a conversation with him, but he impressed me by his character and observing him recruiting and scouting baseball players. And, uh, you know, that led me to ultimately find Sarloos and Sons um, uh, via social media. And I became a fan of the Instagram page. And, and ultimately, that's where I saw your posts and was just intrigued by the way you saw the world and, and the way you made posts about the winery it intrigued me. And I, so I've been following you for, for years now. And, uh, you know, one day I reached out and just said, man, you would be an interesting guy to have on the podcast and, and share your perspective. And since then, we've had a couple conversations and here we are. Here we are. So, I love it. Right? You know, and it's, speaking about Kirk, Kirk, um, you know, my brother's the head coach of Texas Christian University Baseball, and uh, I'm I'm so pleased to have him as a brother. Uh, I, th- I would absolutely say that a, a huge portion of, you know, who I am is because Kirk is my brother. And 
I say that, you know, after being 47 years old, it was, it was a lot tougher when I was, you know, 16, 19, 25, because Kirk was great at everything a kid is supposed to be great at. He's personable. He has a big heart, but he was also really, really great at sports, you know, quarterback one, you know, state did this whole thing. Um, you know, was an excellent baseball player, played in Mexico City and in the Amateur League World Series in McCook, Nebraska, and had a great career through um, through college. And not a lot of people know it. Like Kirk used to close on one day and start on another. So he has a, a, a lot of records and he's wow. even in the Hall of Fame um, for a I think it was a five person no hitter against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium that my parents were actually strangely at the game. Um, and so my entire life, you know, my brother and I have always been very competitive with each other. You know, we punch in the face and because he was my brother, every time he did something great, it pushed me to do something great in my own life. And he and I now, you know, being a little bit older and a little bit wiser, we've had these really great conversations where he said, dude, I was just trying to beat you. And I was just trying to, and I said, I was just trying to beat you. So we spent our entire life basically climbing against each other, um, trying to outdo each other in, in the best possible way. Right. And that is so good. How, how many years yeah. apart are you two? We're only three years apart, but we shared a room, you know, most of our lives and uh, we're incredibly close. We're, we're incredibly blessed by having, you know, my mom and dad who absolutely loved each other and, and never broke our spirit. I think that that's a, a you know, as an quote unquote expert guest, the only thing I'm really expert at is really having great parents that, you know, when me and my brother would fight, my mom would just say, go outside. She never told us to stop. Right. You know, we could beat on each other with PVC pipes and, and as on the trampoline, but as long as we were outside, it was fine. And because my mom's a huge competitor, you know, you, you see her at every baseball game sitting in the stand. She loves competition. And, you know, that was kind of the, the crazy house we grew up in. And I think that was actually a really beautiful thing. I know you have kids and, and they're involved in sports. And the first thing I would say to any parent is like, don't, you know, just don't break your kid's spirit. And that's powerful. That is a powerful statement right there. It really is because, you know, the only chance anybody has at being truly unique is, is not fitting in. And the, the world seems to want, uh, you know, you and I've had some really neat conversations and, and you, you come from a great corporate, you know, corporate background and, and uh, I'm unemployable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, one of the things that I've, I've seen so much is the the people who stayed unemployable, uh, the the juvenile delinquents, if you will, they had to figure a way around. And and those are the people that really go out there and make a difference. Yeah. And and uh, I'm just really blessed to have a great brother and great parents and and a wonderful community around me. Well, I, lo- I love to hear that. And, and it, it definitely the, your family foundation is is what created the platform to launch you and all of your siblings out into the world to make an impact. And and clearly that was a strong foundation. And uh, so we're going to spend some time there. You know, we're going to cover a lot of ground in our conversation today. The core of which is, is Sarlos and Sons winery. 
there's so much depth to how this all happened in your family. And, and I'd love for you to take us through that history of how sure. it all started. Well, I, to really talk about how Sorrows and Sons started, I have to go back to, to Iowa. And my grandfather lost his father when he was relatively young. Uh, he had a couple of brothers and a sister. And he was in a, a small place called Hull, Iowa, when he lost his dad. And my, my grandfather was the second oldest brother. His uh, brother, John, uh, took over the family farm in his father's absence. And my dad, my grandpa, being, you know, a, a man at 13, basically left left the home because he was too old. He wasn't old enough to run the place and he didn't want to be a burden on his family. And there were, there were more mouths to feed. And this is real, you know, grapes of grapes of wrath, no pun intended era. And he uh, he made his way to California and worked at for families down the street and that kind of thing. But he left the family farm before it broke him. And I think that's an interesting thing to say because, you know, there's nothing greater than a farm when you're a kid and to be able to pull something out of the ground and have it feed your family with your, you know, your bare hands and, and sweat is a, is a very noble profession. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you know, I always say, be very careful with what you fall in love with because your children will inevitably fall in love with that too, because that's the best version of you while you're doing it. And my grandpa loved farming, loved, uh, you know, the outdoors and, 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 and business and every, everything that kind of comes with it. So when he was raising his boys, uh, met my grandma, you know, at church, got married, had two boys and he was down in Bellflower, California, which is pretty much where I grew up, which is, if you know, Southern California, it's, it's a few miles away from Knott's Berry farm, you know, oh, sure. a, lot of, a lot of people call it a, a drive over city, but, but that, that era area, Cerritos, Norwalk, Belfar, Artesia, um, was known as Dairy Valley. And our family had a lawn and garden, um, excuse me, a, uh, uh, dairy supply company. And as the homes moved in and the dairies moved out of Southern California, uh, that turned into lawn and garden. And we had a business that was called Ezel nursery supply. And I'm looking at the matchbook right now. And it was, it was started in 1922 and long story short there, you know, uh, at some point we had, my father had the opportunity to, um, to leave Southern California and, kind of pursue his dream. You know, me and my brother were both out of the house and his dream was to grow something from the ground and raise cattle. And he found this, this little chunk of land up here in uh, Los Olivos, California. And uh, it was an apple orchard, Fuji apples and bought it and, and farmed it for a full year and had someone say, Hey, yeah, I'll buy all your fruit. And it was like, Oh, this couldn't go any better and raising cattle. And, you know, my dad's really living out this dream. And, uh, then when we went to go and deliver the fruit that we worked hard on all year and picked and they refused it at the dock. And so everything we put into it, you know, uh, just staring at, truthfully your dream becoming a failure in one day and with a, with one word, no, with a ton of work put behind it to get to that point. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah. If you, if you think about it, it's like, Oh, we're going to, you know, it's like, this is the dream. We're going to do it. We're going to sell this stuff. We're going to, we're making a run at it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And then no. And sorry, refused. Wow. And basically drove it home, pushed it out on the ground and, and watched cattle eat it. 
And, uh, you know, a big theme in our family, you know, there's maniac men and, and wonderful women. And my mom, you know, what are we going to do and all of this? And after a lot of crying and throwing up, you know, it was, well, it seems like people, you know, there's a winery down the street and maybe they'll, if we had grapes, they'll buy grapes. And we, we asked, they said, yeah, sure. Which is, you know, the biggest flyer in the world, right? Someone, (laughs) hey, will you, will you tear out your entire orchard that you failed at and now plant vines, which you've never done before. And then I want to sell you the fruit from that. And the answer was sure. Like, you know, with a shrug and, and, but that launched a thousand ships. And, you know, my mom was the person that says, well, people want grapes, plant grapes. And then for a long time, we, we were just selling fruit and living the dream, you know, living out my father's dream, working side by side. And, and you mentioned the roasted bean coffee shop because, you know, my conversation with my wife and I is like, as soon as we're pregnant, we're here full time because this is where we wanted to raise our kids. You know, this is, this is the, the, the pot we want to plant them in. And so the, the grapes we were selling to other people and then, you know, 2008 happened and, you know, gas was five bucks a gallon back in 08, if you can believe that and banks and this and that. And, and long story short, it was, it was another moment where I looked at my wife and said, Hey, I I think I might've made a big mistake. You know, I don't know if we're going to be able to make it here. And my wife said, well, you know, you've been selling that wine off the back of your truck you made from the fruit. And it seems like people like that. So why don't you do that? And again, (laughs) you know, wisdom. Well, yeah. I mean, no, no rational person plants a vineyard. You know what I mean? (laughs) And, and for me, it was like, well, everybody else knows so much more than me. And everybody else, you know, went to school for this and there's lineage in this stuff. And I don't, I, geez, I don't know anything kind of a thing. And in, in a really, you know, this is the terrifying thing of, of marrying someone you, you admire is that when she's like, you could do it. And all of a sudden you believe their lie to you. And, uh, you know, Sarlos and Sons was started as 2003. We made a little bit of wine from our own vineyard. And then by 2008, um, I had a tasting room in a winery and bootstrapped this whole thing together and, you know, made a little bit of fruit and was just 100 percent. I said to my wife, this is either going to work or it's going to kill me because I'm not going to fail. Keith, the yeah. people closest to you can see the truth that's inside of uh, Yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the truth of it is, you know, more, more dreams have been killed by self-doubt than have ever been killed by failure. And 100%. And it's easy to sit on the couch and it's easy to yell at your favorite team of what what they should have done to win. Mm -hmm. But it's a whole other thing when you, when you strap on the pads and and get on the field and, and, and say, well, this is how this is going to be. And like I said, it was either going to, we were either going to succeed or it was going to kill me. It was one or the other. And because I had to succeed, like I had to breathe in all honesty, I still know that feeling I felt, you know, being like, I had to succeed like I was being held underwater and I needed to breathe because I needed to take care of my family. I needed to put food on the table. I needed to, um, 
I needed to win. And not for me, but for everybody else around me. And the, the hardest, most beautiful part of that is when I had nothing, I had my family. And Mm -hmm. that's why when we, when we opened here, I just, I put pictures of people I loved on the bottles, like my grandparents and my folks and, and my kids. And kind of in that process, you know, most wineries are started by someone who did something very successful. And then they, um, they start a winery and put their name on a bottle, right. Where Mm -hmm. they were a successful lawyer or, uh, or, or something else in their life that, that afford that afforded them the opportunity to start a winery because it, it doesn't seem like, you know, it's a good way to put it, but it, they have, you know, a lot of people have a boat. They don't know how to drive and a plane. They don't know how to fly. And now they have a winery. They don't know how to run. And for me, it was, it wasn't that it wasn't, this is a fun thing. This was like, this is make or break. And there was one statement that kind of came out of that, which was, which you were kind of referencing the whole time you were kind of doing that beautiful intro, which, you know, it's, it's a lot of family. It's a lot of uh, other people. And we came up with what we call our family creed now, which is something we've been doing for generations, but I got to put words to it, which was honor and prepare. And that, that statement means we live to honor those that have come before us and we prepare the way for those yet to come. And that's my job. My job is to honor my folks, my grandparents, everybody who has made all of these decisions. My grandpa left Iowa and came to California. That's a part of my story. And his dreams becoming my father's dreams is part of our story. And my, the way my parents love my kids is part of this story. And everything I do is either to honor or to, to lay a paved road behind me so that other generations after me can follow. And what I do today is just, uh, you know, when you say the winery, right, the winery is what we do today in that pursuit. And it could be something totally different when my kids are older. And I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay if, if this winery dies with me because they are so passionate about what they're doing each and every day of their lives that they don't have to follow my dreams. But, uh, but like I said, be careful with what you fall in love with because my dad loved baseball and he loved working and I chose work and my brother brilliantly chose baseball. <laughs> uh, oh, Keith, I gotta got say to that- the point. Yeah, we got to the point family. now where my brother would rather do my job and I'd rather do his, which is always real fun to talk about. That is awesome. Well, that family creed is so powerful. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're doing exactly what your father and mother did for you and your brother is create the launching pad. And oh, it can yeah. become whatever it is that, that you can dream, which is why we're here today, right? Uh, yeah. You know, and... <laughs> One of the things I threw, uh, by the way, I apologize for everyone. I will give very long answers to short questions. I know I, that's, I love I, it. It's so much to share. Thanks, man. So much. So, yeah, I've, I've never been a big wine guy. Uh, yeah, I don't know that much about it. I do appreciate a good glass now and then. But yeah. what really caught my attention about Sellers and Sons was the way priorities seem to be based on God and family first, farming second. And I say farming, you know, not winery, but farming and then community is a strong third. 
And then yeah. outstanding wines are the result of that. So I may have oversimplified yeah. this, but but provide me with insights into what you think the elements are that's provided Sarlis and Sons Winery. Another, you know, Providence is a big theme in my life. Um, I think I'm, I think I have a direction, but I, I just keep, I just keep walking forward and it seems like the right things happen and, and not because I'm waiting for them to happen, but I'm pursuing them to happen. And, you know, when I first, when I, when I first wrote Sarlis and Sons, I wrote family, family farming vineyards, wine, and in that order, strangely. And I, the longer the distance between when I wrote that down first, the more it becomes true. It sounds weird to say that, but for me, wine is a byproduct and it's a byproduct of a dream that became real. Uh, It's a byproduct of getting up every day and putting the farm first because what we're doing out there in the vineyard is growing wine. We're not growing grapes. We're growing an end result fruit. Um, it's not like strawberries where you, any, you can buy strawberries for this or that and bake it in a pie if you want. Um, wine grapes, you are they have one use and one use only, and that is to be turned from fruit into wine. Um, the vineyards is where we do that, and, and the wine is the byproduct. And one of the things that's very interesting about it is <clears> – <throat> A lot of people, you know, want to be on stage. Uh, they want to hold a bottle with their name on it. That's that's the goal. That's the end result. And, you know, it's kind of like if you go see someone, you know, singing on stage and you say, I want to sing on stage. The, the end result is rarely the thing that gets you to the stage or gets you to the, you know, the walk off home run. Mm-hmm. It's always the the passion about about doing the things that usually nobody else wants to do. And for us, that that's always been the farming. We didn't get into this not to farm. I didn't get into this not to drive the tractor, not to do the work that it takes on the, on the property. You know, we're, we're one of the last people that, that kind of farm it ourselves. Most people pay a farming company to come in and farm it for them. And, you know, and that would be great, but it's, it has a cost to it. And my time is valueless. So, everything we do is the hard part. And that's the part I think is a, is a big theme within my family. You know, my, everybody in my family, the hard part is the part that is not only the most interesting, but it's also the part that we really, really enjoy doing because we, we came from a a place or an era or a time where um, like now, you, you know, if you, if you create an Instagram profile and, and take pictures of yourself, you know, eating pizza, all of a sudden you're a pizza influencer for some reason. <laughs> and you know what I mean? And, yep. and for us, it was something that you earned, right? If you, if you wanted a spot on the team, you, you what you, what you should do is find the best team you can possibly, you want to be the worst person on the best team and then move your way up to being the best person on the best team and then find a better team. And you know, skateboarding or surfing or anything else I did, it was you, you earned your spot, you know, and somebody will tell you when you did it or someone won't. And you just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And everybody who's faking it will fall off. And everybody who really loves what they're doing will still be doing it there 20 years from now. 
And for us, that that's kind of the beauty of it. Like the holding a bottle of wine with my name on it is is probably the least interesting part of the process. It's it's an end result, but it's also the journey is over for yep. that, you know, and yep. I like being I like being real locked into the journey. Oh, Keith, this is so we're going to dive into this a little bit later in the conversation, but I'm going to throw something out there that we've talked about before that's timely right here. This yeah. is this is this is all about in enjoying the process and the journey and finding satisfaction in doing hard things. Well, yeah, I, I mean, now I'm going to take another swig of my coffee after this one. But the one thing, you know, the one thing I've learned is, is what I love and what, what I, I find my kids love. And I see it in my son, you know, with video games, which is really fun. And I love video games too. Um, but I, I love (sighs) conquerable goals and a great game. You're constantly conquering a little goal and you're progressing, you're conquering a goal and you're progressing. If you're, if you're lifting weights, you're conquering a goal and you're progressing. If you're, if you're losing weight, you stand on the scale and you conquered a goal and you're progressing. And for me, that I'm addicted to that. You know, I'm addicted Mm -hmm. to a achievable goal that brings me uh, satisfaction. And I can stand on that and then do the next thing because, you know, if if there, that comes with a double edged sword, because I always feel like if if I can do it, how special is it, right? Yep. Uh, that that's who I am. I know you know. I've come to find out that that's not normal. Uh, usually, people want to stand on their accomplishments or say, "Look how great I am because of it." And for me, it's like if I can do it, how special can it be? Right? Anybody can do this stuff because I'm an idiot. Um, that's a great perspective. I don't know if it's good. It's pretty self-loathing, <laughs> you know, um, because no one hates me more than me. And and my goal is, is that constant upward, slow, methodical, stoic climb. And, you know, I'm, I, I've got a lot of emotions and big personality and everything else. And maybe, you know, it's a little early in the morning for me to be yelling yet, but, um, <laughs> I, I'm addicted to that. You know, I really am. And I think that's, that's the process. That's the, the, the games, you know, are the things that, okay, let's, let's test the process because, you know, baseball or anything you're doing or, you know, golf, I know you love golf and I've recently picked it up and I'm, I'm pretty addicted to it. Um, but what I love about that is I just try to be kind to myself for my next swing. Um, I'm, I'm trying to progress. I'm trying to be able to, uh, when I hit the ball, have a, have a expectation of an outcome which usually leads to sadness, but, <laughs> uh, but I like it, you know, and, and, and I like the range probably more than I like playing around a golf. Well, you, you know, the, the beautiful thing about golf and it's, by the way, I like how your voice changed when you said that, that was, that, uh, was this, that is the, uh, that is said like a true addict. I love it. <laughs> well, truly the greatest thing about golf is you have to play your foul balls. And it's such a parallel to life. You know, nothing, everything does not go your way in life. Right. And, and so, you know, two of my great sporting loves are golf and baseball. 
you know, baseball, obviously the, the, you know, you make the hall of fame if you're a, a hitter that can get it right three out of 10 times and uh, you know, golf, you play your foul balls mm-hmm. and it's uh, you know, that adversity is what sets you up to deal with the challenges uh, that you face during your, your years on this planet earth. Right. Uh, God didn't put us here to have an easy life and there's challenges. And, uh, those two, those two sports reflect a lot of that. So absolutely beautiful. The the thing you brought up, you know, ba- about baseball, I've, I've learned this moderately recently, you know, well, cause we're talking about trying to be a success in life or, you know, being a good, good man or, or, you know, whatever it is we're talking about today. Uh, the, the thing I learned is, you know, most people want the home run. You know, most people want that walk off. I won the game and that could, you know, in business, that's maybe you grew a business and you sold it in, in, in life. There's, there's moments where you're like, this is the walk off. Right. And, and I have found that I, I don't, I don't want the game to end. You know, I love Sandlot. I love that movie. I've watched it a billion times. Um, with my buddy Cliff Chasen before college, we said Sandlot's on HBO. Let's see how many times we can watch it. And I, it's probably in the hundreds, but <laughs> you know, the, you don't want, I don't want the game to end. I just don't, you know, I don't want that walk off home run. I want to get up and play the game again tomorrow. And I want to get better at it and, and constantly add something to my bag if you will, where mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do this yesterday. And now I know how to do it today. And yesterday I was a little bit dumber than I am today. And let's, let's continue that progress. But I, I definitely don't want it to end. You know, I want to keep grinding it out and keep <clears throat> moving, you know, get them on, get them over, get them home. That's yep. kind of our, our mindset. I love it. That's so good. All right. We got to, so we're going to, we're going to go back just a little bit to this foundation. Did I answer all your questions so far? I get lost. You've, done a, you've done a great job and it's awesome. And I, I love, awesome. I, I love your perspective. Yeah. The coffee's so, kicking in. So they're, they're going to get more upbeat as we go. <laughs> well, good. Well, so where I want to go here is I want to go a little bit back backwards to, we touched on a little bit, but I want to dive a little deeper. Yeah. And I think anything, um, you know, it's a, it's a great story. It's also a sad story, but, um, I'd like to learn a little bit more about the man who started it all. Oh yeah. He's affectionately referred to as B- big Lar. Yeah. Big Larry. Your, Larry your father, your father, Larry, right. Um, yep. share some, some story, um, uh, both the, the, the wonderful things, the, the sad things, sure. and just, you know, uh, this, this legacy, this foundation that's been created with your family, you know, it's, it's got to start there uh, with the man he was. So I'd like to learn more about him. Um, you know, uh, a very interesting way to talk about your dad is that he was, he was not only the guy, you know, at the end of his at the end of his life, my brother and I are both adults, but you know, he was, he was a tough dad and he wasn't tough. Like, uh, he wasn't mean, but he expected a lot out of us. Right. If, uh, if you're given a lot, a lot of is expected. And with that came work ethic came, uh, he was tough on us for very specific reasons. And now that I've gotten older, I realized that my dad was tough on us because those were the things in himself that he was trying to master. 
and that's a that's a weird thing but i i I see myself doing it too you know Mm -hmm. uh if if i get a little lazy i'm the first person to jump on my son for being lazy but you know if he missed homework i look at it all the time why is this not turned in (laughs) i didn't i didn't turn in any homework you know, I was a terrible student. And, <laughs> and, you know, my 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 kids know my lies because I'm like, you need to do this and that, and those are the things that I I I get way too upset about. But those are the things that were my failures, and I'm trying to correct that in the next generation. Um, yeah, yeah, you want to save your kids from the same mistakes you made. I know, totally. And the interesting part about my dad that. When I think about him today, you know, we lost him about three years ago and I'm very happy that my mind only remembers the good stuff Mm -hmm. and remembers the the somewhat pivotal moments in my young life that, you know, I was facing something pretty tough and, and me and him were having a conversation out in the field and he goes, Hey man, we, we win together and we lose together. And I didn't feel so alone. And that meant a lot to me. And I got to work side by side with my dad for most of my adult life. And the thing I would always say about him was, I had a magic phone and this magic phone wasn't calling my dad. It really called me or at least who I, who I think I want to be someone I admired the the me I admired 25 years down the road. And at any time, any time I could pick up that phone and I could call this number and the voice at the other end would be me in the future. I could be upset. I could be sharing uh, victories. I could be asking for advice. But the voice at the other end was my dad. Because Mm. my dad is is just me 25 years down the road. Mm. And he was a cheerleader. And he was... He was always hoping for the best for me. And when I called him in a fit of rage, he would say he would he would ask me to tell him everything and I would puke it all out. And, you know, I want to do this and and I'm just chewing on my own cheek. And then he goes, well, you know, you could do that or you could take the high road. It's not going to feel as good, but something good in the future will come of it. This is the advice I would give myself if I was in a clear state of mind. Right. Yep. But I had a I had someone who was who had my best intentions and had my my, you know, the honor and prepare. He was preparing the way. And every time I called him, I would get the right advice. I would get the advice I would have given myself or given my son uh, if he called me. Mm -hmm. And my dad was my dad wasn't, you know, a, a. it's a funny thing to say, but he, he wasn't a, a big name, right? He's, he's not a celebrity. He's not a, a sports star. He's not, uh, you know, we're a common family. You know, we just are. We're, we're, there's nothing great about us, but we really do love each other. And 
in our little community, you know, it was at the very beginning of COVID and uh, friends of ours said, Hey, you know, Larry, Larry passed away. And my, my, I had another buddy, his mom just passed away and we couldn't have funerals. And they said, we're all going to get together and drive by the drive by our tasting room. And the, the procession lasted 45 minutes and of cars just driving by. And, and the, our local uh, wow. Episcopal church right around the corner, uh, Father Randall, uh, rang the bell in the church tower for 45 minutes until he was dripping with sweat. Wow. And I, I sat there with my brother and my mother and my wife and my sister-in-law and all our kids and friends and saw how many people that my dad made a difference in made a difference in their life that they would they would get up, they would leave their home during COVID right at the beginning when this thing was going to kill us all and, and cruise by. They just took time out of their uh, just time because my dad maybe did something nice for them or treated them well or pulled them out of the mud or, or cheered for them. And, and that's just kind of the, I've never, you know, that's the kind of the guy that he was. And what a great man. What a great man. I mean, he was up to his eyeballs in in the community, right? Living in the community and making a difference for everybody around him. You know, just throwing elbows. He and that's the thing that that I found that my father loved was community. He loved the baseball community. He loved his work community. He loved, you know, his 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 uh, cowboy community. He loved, you know, anybody he was in, he was all in. And not only was he all in, he was there. He was there to make it better and not in a conceited way. Like here I am now it's going to get good, but in a way where he was going to participate in a way that if he was there, people were, I've, I found this out now that people were excited that he was there because they knew they had a friend. And not only did they have a friend, they had a guy that was probably going to have more fun than them. <laughs> and he would drag you along with him in the fun. He would say, Oh, we got to do this. Let's go. You know, it just, but (laughs) that wasn't the guy who raised me, you know, the guy who raised me was a different guy. And, and for my dad, you know, that I think the beautiful, the most beautiful thing I can say is that in his absence, my brother and I, you know, we, we had a real hard, big talks and, and the term post-traumatic ascension became the theme. And it was everything we're going to do from this point on is the guy who's holding the shield for us for our entire life is gone. And now we're holding the shield. We have the sword in our hand. We also have the shield and we have to we have to protect our family. We have to be as tight as we can. Let's make decisions that are that honor and prepare. Let's move it forward. Let's grow and let's. Let's become the people our father always knew we could become. Yeah, that, and that's, that's great, what we've that, done. That tears me up. That's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've, what I've, a great I'm tribute to your too. father. What a yeah. great tribute to your father. And and you know, as we're on this topic and, and conversation, I mean, anybody who's a father and is listening to this understands that there's there's three distinct phases, in my opinion, in, in that relationship between fathers and sons. And it's it's the father who's raising the boys. Who are truly boys, mm-hmm. and then as they get into their 
18, 19, 20, 21, right? They're be, they're growing into young men mm-hmm. and, and that relationship changes a little bit. You kind of start to become friends and you're a mentor, but you're not the same father you were when they were 15, 14, 13, you know, eight, right? Sure. Yep. And, and then there becomes that next phase as you become, you know, this, the sons become, you know, heads of families, uh, professionals, right They're, They've got their own career, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then it's more of, you know, the, the proud, proud dad observing that. And, and, you know, the sons turn into, you know, their actions are honoring their fathers. And it's, a uh, you know, I'm going through that with my sons now. I know you have a younger son and, and, yeah. and you're in a different face and it's, uh, it, it's amazing. And to hear you tell the story of your father, you can hear that just resonate that, that those three phases. And, um, it's thank you for sharing. I'm oh, touched. No, it's, you know, we, we kind of said it, my dad, my, my mom and dad, you know, they always said they, I'll give you enough rope to hang yourself, but not too much that I can't drag you back in. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that, that was a lot of it, you know, and, and only until, you know, recently when we were sitting, we were sitting at a little diner we like to go to and, <laughs> And the greatest compliment my dad ever said to me that was was just so little, but meant the world. And if you're a father and you get this opportunity to say it to your kid, wait for the right moment, because we were just sitting there and and I, you know, I buy all I bought all my fruit for the taste for our winery from from the farming. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not free. It's you know, usually he's like, Hey, I'd like my check today, you know, kind of a thing. And so we'd sit down and I'm like, well, at least I'm going to get a free lunch out of this. So we'd go to lunch and I hand him a stack of checks for all the fruit we picked that year. And, and, you know, he's kind of bouncing them on the table a little bit and looking at me and, and, uh, he goes, you know, I hope you live long enough to see your children become successes. Oh, because, and, and he goes, because I have, (laughs) and like right there i I mean what a throwaway line what i mean two sentences right yep and and you know i you know to bring god into this i heard a long time ago that it's you know your your father is a is a very small version of how you see god Mm. and if your dad's there for you and loves you, it's, it's very easy to believe in God. It's very easy. If he's not, if he abandoned you, if if he was a jerk, if he was living for himself and not for you, it's it's a lot tougher to, to see God in anything. Yeah. And, one of the things, you know, not that, you know, my dad is definitely not God, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I got fistfights to prove it, but the, uh, the, the real beauty of that is, and I say it to anybody, you know, I have friends that, you know, we have tons of people I've met through the tasting room and they're like, Hey man, I'm having a kid. I'm like, you're entering the best part of your life. They're like, really? They're like, I'm nervous. I'm like, listen, if you had a, your whole job is to be better than your dad. 
if you had a great if you had a good dad be a great one if you had a crappy dad be a great one you know that that moniker of you know just just getting to be someone's dad is is a I, I greatest gift in the world lightly. greatest yeah, gift in the I mean, world it really is because right there at, at, you're you're helping out you're setting a you're building a compass for someone and you want it to be pointed in the right direction and and for me that's all i want to do i want to i want to yep. bury the person i was yesterday i want to become better than i was yesterday i fail constantly you know uh, split my teeth right through my lip falling fit flat forward all the time mm-hmm. but i in truth i looked at my son you know when we were starting this winery and i i looked at him i cried over his crib when he was just he was an infant and i said your dad will not be a loser i'm going to win <laughs> and that that was that was the thing that that pushed us into what what we're doing today and maybe why you know i don't think of wine as a beverage right wine is just yep. a, it's a story of what we do every day and and then we get to give our farming a shot at immortality. Oh, and that that man. was my, you know, that my depth, dad worked that, hard on that, the farm. Well, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just going to say that depth of that story. Um, you know, your dad, your father, yeah, was was a great man, and yeah. you know, he's honored by both you and your brother, and uh, I think you have other siblings as well. Nope, it's uh, just me and Kirk. Which is just you two. Okay, it's just yep. you two. So we have the same so, initials and same middle name. My parents were very, very uninspired. But yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> but it's just such an honor. Now, now here's the here's the other truth in life. Behind every great man is a great woman. And no, 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 no. And number one, that is not how it is in our family. And I'll say why, because in front of every great man is a woman who that man is desperately trying to keep up with. (laughs) I love it. We'll take this. Hey, take this and and give us insights into the woman who is your mom. Oh, Linda, the the super queen. Yes. Um, My mom was it. And what I mean by it, she was, uh, she's the youngest of six kids. My grandfather was a carpenter. They lived in a, uh, they made it from Minnesota to California. My mom rode out from Minnesota to California in the back window of the car. Um, like where there used to be like that flat little place on the uh, rear 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 window of old cars, she laid up there as they drove all the way across the country. <laughs> oh, that's and, uh, that's that is a different time in the world. Yeah, that right? paints a picture, right? <laughs> and so, my mom was the youngest of a, a a wild family, a lot of fun. The they're they're all nuts in their own way, which I absolutely love, and. Uh, my mom, you know, the house was always busy and full. And so my mom uh, liked sports and she was really the it girl of her high school. She played four varsity sports, was captain of all of them, was also on the uh, cheerleading squad. Um, you know, uh, she was it. And my dad went and asked her out and she said, I'd love to go out with you, but it'll it'll be in six weeks. And my dad goes, six weeks. And she goes, yeah, I have. I have dates all the way up until then. And and like her dance card was full. I mean, what can I say? Right. And 
so my dad waited six weeks and and uh they went out on a date my dad came home that night and said to my grandma that's her i met her that's her (laughs) and uh my mom is is still you know when i if we play softball or do anything i'll pick my wife first and then i'll pick my mom second and usually like you know the whole crowd of people goes oh that's so nice or whatever and i'm like no 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 i i just hired the the murderers on this team you know because my my mom's like 70 now and plays still plays pickleball five days a week walks you know five miles a day is at every sporting event she lives right by tcu so she splits time between here and my brother and you know was at every basketball game sitting on the floor at every football game you know standing by the tunnel she loves competition she loves to see what's going to happen right she she is passionate about everything and then but if you ask her she'll never say a bad never say anything bad about anybody who's who's on the field she's like you know someone's in a slump she's like everybody gets in a slump no problem you know what you got to do is you got to battle out of it you know and you got it in you you've done it before you know that kind of stuff and i'm like mom you need your own show because i would absolutely love to listen to someone giving like hey it's gonna be okay you know this is where you're at you're struggling right now but you're learning you know that's my mom i love and She is, she's the greatest super fan on earth. She is, uh, you know, she was the kind of mom that, you know, you didn't call home at college for a couple of months or whatever. And she's like, no news is good news, you know, um, <laughs> because, you know, we were wild, crazy kids, but she kind of expected it. You know, she's like, I expected worse kind of a thing. And she, uh, she is the person that, you know, we wanted my mom's life to get better after my dad's passed away. And, and we've worked hard at that and made sure that she's, she's happy. Of course she misses my dad. I mean, of course they spent 40 years together. I mean, but now it's like she has her own Renaissance, which has really, really been really fun to watch. And she's become a, another incarnation of herself. You know, she's painting and, and participating and, in all kinds of different sports and, and, has really whittled 25 years off her. She, she seems more like my sister, older sister than my mom now. And that is cool. She, she is just, she literally is the world's greatest woman. You know, I, I married, I married the, my mom was a prototype. My brother and I both married uh, versions of her. And, you know, we both knew the first, like the first time I saw my wife, I knew she was it. And my brother is the same thing with his wife. It's like, you know, once well, once you've seen that in your life, it's easy to spot. You know, that is, it really that is, is so easy good. to spot. So now we've well, all Keith, been, you, we've all been playing with the house money. Well, Keith, you you uh, you put a post up over the last couple of days, and the post is rele- relevant to your brother and your mom. Oh yeah, at a recent recent event at TCU, and if you would set the stage for us, oh, and and ex- explain the sentiment. I read this post to to my wife this morning. It put tears in my eyes um, because you, I, well, I feel I'll like tell you what, our boys you, are good. Why don't you read it? Why don't you read it so everybody else reads it? Oh boy, I have to find it here. Hold on a second. I want you, to, right. yeah, hearing you tear up. But let me set the stage. Uh, set the stage while I look it up. Um. Mm, I'm a big fan of whatever team my brother's on big fan. And I'm not really even a baseball fan, but I love my brother. So I watch baseball. And uh, this year I've, I've got to, 
you know, I've sat in the dugout with him during a game and, and our lives are pretty weird where my brother's kids are always all over the field. Uh, the, all of uh, his assistant coaches, their kids are all over the field. There's not much difference between TCU baseball and Sarles and sons winery. It's the same vibe. And, you know, there are opportunities. My mom, if you ever look at a, if you're ever watching a TCU baseball game and there is a uh, right-handed hitter, my mom will be in the frame of, of the, the television because she sits in the exact same seat the whole time and she's never missed a game. Never. And what I find really beautiful is that my, my brother, the head coach of Texas Christian university baseball, um, it was mother's day. And my, my, uh, brother said to my mom, Hey mom, you want to throw out the first pitch? And my mom's like, no, I don't want to do that. He goes, you want to walk out there and, and exchange lineups with me? She goes, yeah, I'll do that. So there my mom was <laughs> first time ever in the history of baseball. I don't, you know, maybe I think she, she, well, it's probably the first time, you know, we've talked about it loudly, but it, that's kind of our family. It sounds like a weird thing to do, but it's like, you know, you think of it being like a corporation or whatever, like a, you know, a, a baseball team is a business or whatever it is. But if my brother was the head coach of the New York Yankees, my, my brother would have looked at my mom and said, hey, you want to go out and exchange? And she'd go, yeah, let's go. And she'd walk out there if it was the Yankees. And that's kind of how our, our family operates. You know, she looked at it. it. It's a really there's a fun picture. I got a bunch of them from people at the game. But, you know, the Baylor coach is smiling and laughing because there's my mom. You know, <laughs> hey, Kirk walks out there and goes, hi, this is my mom, Linda Sarlos. Hi, guys. And, you know, she's shaking hands with all the umps and stuff like that. And she probably knows them all by name. And she's like, well, let's let's keep it fair out there. you know, that kind of thing. And and then she'll go sit in the stands and and, you know, and pump up the every batter going up there and knows each one of them. I mean, when they have uh, parents days and stuff like that, my mom will make six lasagnas and, and bring it over to the house just so the kids can eat it. I mean, my mom has not graduated from being a teen mom. She just oh. she's still that person. But that's yeah, the house I, we grew up in. I watch a lot of baseball, a lot of college baseball, been a lot of games. I can tell you, I've never seen anyone's mom at the home plate <laughs> exchanging lineups. Well, <laughs> then evidently you don't watch enough TCU baseball because oh. I, I, I'm the first person to say it. You know, uh, uh, my brother is a, geez, my, when my brother was up for the, the head coaching position, you know, I was, I was fit to be tied. I really was. And it was after my dad passed. And this was a, a dream and a goal of my brother's. And and he goes, don't do anything. I go, what do you mean? Don't do anything. He's like, just be cool. Right. He called me to tell me to be cool <laughs> because I, I'm a pretty fiery person. And, you know, and I, I just I sent out a tweet, which which was. Uh, oh, what was it? I said, um TCU will either make Kirk Sarlos the head coach of TCU baseball or they'll spend the rest of his career regretting it. You know, <laughs> that was pretty pointed. It was a little bit. I probably I think I I think I added like the the, the chancellor and the AD and oh, everything no. else. Which was, Now, was yeah, this before pretty, the call from your brother or after <laughs> after? Oh, no, after 100 percent after. And, you know, and the other thing I truly believe, I truly believe it that my brother will become the John Wooden of collegiate baseball. 
And I know he will because probably highly probable. That's that's that could be because I know I know what he is working towards in his Mm -hmm. mind. I know what he's working towards with the kids that he's recruiting with the the process, his coaching staff. I'm not putting words in his mouth, but uh, Kirk is Kirk is not playing baseball. He just isn't. He is coaching baseball. But what he is building is 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 a family. And not not a family like, you know, mom and dad, this and that, but but building a group of people that are that are going to have to depend on each other. Yeah, that that, you know, baseball has become, in my opinion, uh, and I am in no way, shape or form speaking for my brother in any way, shape or form. This is all me. But, you know, it's become a individual sport that's played at played in a team. And. There's so much more beauty to it when it's a team sport mm-hmm. and and that's how you win championships. You might lose yeah. games, but you're but but you will win championships because yeah. when you see the kids who get hot and then that coalescing happens and they're building towards something and there's an end goal, you know, individual achievements are one thing. But when it when it becomes the the get them on, get them over, get them home. And you just yep. start piling on them and piling on them and just inflicting emotional damage. Right. Yep. By going out there and just being like, who is the murderer in this nine and these nine people that are going to come out there and just play for the team. And yep. that's who my brother is. Like when I said, my brother was a, a reliever on one day or a closer on one day, and then he would start on Sunday and why did he do that? Because he he wanted the ball, right? He wanted mm-hmm. to win for these guys. Mm-hmm. And he was such a he was such a great employee when he was in the pros because, you know, the they the like reporters when he was on the A's, they'd come up to him and, and they'd be like, you know, if he lost, it was his fault. And he's just like, hey, man, it was my fault. And if they won, he goes, I can't I can't put runs on the board. All I can do is throw. It's these guys who won. Yep. And, you know, he's he is the prototype. You know, he's page 19 of Moneyball. If you read my if you have that book, go go pull out. Look at page 19. Start reading it. Kirk's the prototype. You know, he's never going to be a big money guy or whatever, but the kid's going to get out there and and tear his heart out of his chest and then keep throwing it across the plate until he he doesn't, you know, he he physically can't do it anymore because mm-hmm. he wants he wants everybody to depend on him. And I know that's something we were talking about with the achievable goals. It's like, you know, the, probably the biggest thing that he and I face is we, we, we don't want to depend on everyone. We want everyone to depend on us. I love that. And that grinds you out. That's a hard thing to do. Like I'll carry the boat, you know, who's going to carry the boat? (laughs) Me. I will. Yep. And it's good. that's, That's tough. And it's really tough to translate that now, you know, in a day and age, I'm showing my age here because in a day and age where it's like everyone wants to be the main character in the story, right? To, to be the person that's like, no, 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 get on my back. I'll pull you out. Let's go. 
Yeah. Well, and that's, it feels so good. My son and one of my sons and I had this conversation the other day and you know, the, when we talk about baseball and team and winning and all these type of things, and you described, uh, you know, get them on, move them over, get them in. Yeah. That's an old Fullerton saying, actually. It it is, but well, and I, I call it selfless baseball. Um, and it's where guys aren't getting up to the plate to hit the home run. They're getting up there to do a job, right? Moving, Mm -hmm. running over, um, having a good at bat, forcing the pitcher to throw more pitches, you know, finding ways to get on base, whether it's a walk or, you know, you get that 94 mile an hour fastball coming at your shoulder and, and you, you take it, it. you wear, you wear it, wear it. Oh, it gives me chills. I love that part. Oh yeah. And And I hate baseball. (laughs) I love it. Well, (laughs) Hey, and if anybody thinks it doesn't hurt, you've never seen the crater that a 94 mile an hour fastball will put on your body. Yeah. Uh, it's literally a two inch round red circle mm-hmm. that is bright white right in the center. And it will stay there for three or four, five, three, four, five days on the, on the oh, back yeah. of a player. It's unbelievable, but that's selfless baseball, but the power, the power of championship and winning teams. And it's what you're talking about. It's the first stage is the players love each other and, and are playing for each other to, to win the game, to conquer, right. To, to, to get the job done. Sure. But the next phase is when the players not only love each other so much, but they love the coach. And when they make that turn from playing for each other to actually, wait a minute, we love each other, but we love our coach and we want to win this for him or her. That's that second phase. And that's what your brother is building is, you know, players naturally gravitate to each other. They they're they're in a tough situation. They're basically in some kind of mental and physical boot camp, right? With everything they do through the fall and the spring and they naturally bond, but the real power comes in when the coach becomes part of that and the players want to win for their coach and that those teams become unbeatable. That, you know, going back to wooden, you know, it, it kind of in our household, it was, you know, my dad got to play baseball at UCLA during that wooden era. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of wooden sayings in our home. And when, you know, wooden passed, the amount of players that came back to honor that guy you know, is that's the legacy. You know, you could, you can be in the hall of fame for wins. You can be, uh, you can be the winningest coach of all time. But when, when people, you know, like going back to my dad's, you know, 45 minute funeral, my only goal in life is to have a 46 minute funeral. (laughs) It really is. I want to be, I want to touch people in my way. Yeah, that that I can have, you know, one more minute, not because I want to beat my dad, but I want to. That's the goal. And I know that what what my brother and I admire, I admire my brother because it's not that Kirk wants to win and it's not that I want to win. It's that I hate losing. Mm-hmm. And my brother hates losing. Winning, winning is winning is just what we should have done. 
you know? Yeah. But losing, losing is we didn't, I didn't do enough in the cage. And I, you know, a cage can mean a baseball cage. It can mean a, a tractor could be the driving range. It could be right. Right. It is. It is the box. Yep. That I put myself in. And but say, you know, when I, when I come out of this, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a monster. Yeah. But what I, what, what I love is yeah. that, and this is a very important for everybody that's listening to, to, to grasp is the winning isn't the personal winning. I mean, the championship is fantastic, but the real winning that's happening in life and, and it's evident through the Sarlos family. Um, it's, it's how the Braun family likes to operate as well. And it's, yeah. it's, the winning that the people we've touched, right, are experiencing and doing, right? The, the sure, your brother Kirk is training these baseball players, and and they're going to win championships under him without a doubt. But but the real legacy is how they go out and impact the world, whether they're training other baseball players, whether they're in the corporate world, right? They're going out. And, and they're extending the Sarloose legacy through their actions in the world. And that's what's going to bring your brother the greatest satisfaction. And that's, you know, what brought your father the, and mother their satisfaction is, is seeing your growth. And, and, you know, same thing with you, with your children as they go out and the people you're impacting in the winery business. Right. Those are the real victories that, yeah. that, that impact on others. And, and that's what I love about your story. That's why you're here today. Thanks, man. I never really think I never really it's interesting you say that because I'm you know I'm trapped inside my own head all the time and and I'm sure my brother is too and I've never wanted to win for me that's a weird way to put it and I know that's probably how Kirk would put it mm-hmm. Kirk wants to win for every person that's on his team Yep. Because if you're the captain of the ship, right, I, I want to be the captain. I want my hand on the wheel. And I know my brother does, too. And I know my dad was that way. It's it's we win together. We lose together. But losers are lo- losses are my fault. You know? Yeah. The wins are our wins. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to win. So you because when I win, I know you won. You know what I mean by that? Yep. yep. It's like, but if it's a loss, I will heap that upon myself. Yep. I will fix it. I will bring that back to the forge. I will crush that thing until I figure out what it is. I'll put it right inside the furnace inside of my chest and I will, I will burn that stuff. Yep. I will make That's that it. fuel. You, you don't play the blame game. You never, no. you never point the finger, you wear it and you move on. And uh, take the 94 mile an hour fastball right in the back. That's it. That is it. All right. Yeah. I've I'm I'm bringing this back to your mom. Oh, good. And, and I, I honestly, post. I forgot what I wrote. <laughs> well, it, it's awesome. So so everyone, it's uh, you'll get these links on the website, but it's Sarlos and Sons. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram. And I follow them in both those places. So here is what Keith posted uh, the day after Mother's Day. So that was yesterday, Monday. Yesterday, my brother brought our mother out on the field with him to exchange lineups before the TCU baseball game. But we're going for their fifth. They were going for their fifth win in a row and a series sweep. I knew it was over before the first pitch. 
mom brings that energy. My mom prays for this team. She probably knew the umps by name and told them to call it fair. I didn't even need to watch the game. I knew what was going to happen. TCU 10, Baylor 4. What 45-year-old head coach and 2022 Big 12 Coach of the Year brings his mom out on the field to exchange lineups on Mother's Day? Kirk Sarlus. That's who. Mama's boys for life. What a powerful tribute to your mother. Uh, she deserves all that and more. <laughs> she does. Absolutely amazing. I mean, the, I loved it. The fact that she was the mom of two absolute maniacs, you know, and the greatest gift she's ever given me was, you know, she would hug me and she goes, I love you no matter what. And, you know, that this I've said the term house money a couple of times, but I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And sometimes you need to know when you're playing with house money. And if you have a, a family around you that you that you love, that you would do anything for, if you have children that that you live a life that hopefully they admire you in some way. They're going to know you're human, but when they can look at you and and admire the person you are, and then you can see the traits that you admire in your parents start coming out of your children. You know, I I have friends who call me just because they're talking to somebody and laughing about something, and they'll call me and, and they'll say to me, Keith, what's your only goal in life? And my answer is instant. And it, I just say generational wealth and they go, thanks and hang up. And <laughs> I have a couple of friends that do that on a semi-regular basis, but it has nothing to do with money. It, zero. You know, we, we have confused wealth or money with happiness mm-hmm. and, you know, it's it truly it just isn't it, it does solve problems money solves problems absolutely but you know real wealth is something that just keeps churning and keeps you know almost like a, an oil well mm-hmm. it just keeps pumping and keeps pumping mm-hmm. and that uh, i can that my children know who my grandparents are and know that they eat because of the dreams they had is important to me you know, I, I got to spend some time with Brooks Firestone, who's a, a, a really great guy, Firestone, grandson of Firestone Tires and the guy who planted the first vineyard in this valley. Right. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. And I love him. I just he's a he's a romantic, passionate guy. I love him. And my wife jokes, she's like, one day I hope that you look at me the way you look at Brooks Firestone kind of a thing. <laughs> and <laughs> and my kids know that they eat because that guy had a dream and he planted a vineyard and, and we're just we're just following that path that he laid. Yeah. That it, you have you have now you are now the host of the virus. <laughs> and that virus is a good virus, right? That you are now the person who when you get up in the morning, you're you can't when you hit your feet, hit the floor, you're like your your mind snaps awake. You know what you're going to do today. You you are looking for new things to do. You're looking to work on it harder than anyone else because you love the feeling of the tools in your hand while you're doing it and you just can't stop doing it. 
And Mm -hmm. once you get all of those four rings, I always say to kids in high school, when you're a freshman, figure out what you love. When you're a sophomore, figure out what you love and what you're good at. When you're a junior, figure out something that the world needs that that you can do with what you love and what you're good at. And then when you're a senior, figure out if you can be paid for it. And you those are the people. Those are these unique, special people that are not looking for adulation. They're not looking for uh, uh, street cred. They're not looking for anything because now they have 100% figured out their reason Mm -hmm. and they'll go out and do it every single day. Well, whether somebody's going to pay them to do it or not, man, I always think of musicians like that, like the kid who picks up a guitar and loves it. And then they, they love it so much that they lock themselves in their room and they play for 10 hours a day. And then all of a sudden they find they, they kind of, they, they paid the dues. You know what I mean? They, they have, their, their fingers are ready. Their, their hands are ready. They have pumped in all of this yeah. time and effort. And then the world's like, well, I want to hear what you have to say. And they're starting to free the line where they're not mimicking anymore. They have something to say and they're playing it their way. And then eventually, you know, they get to the stage and the stage is probably the least interesting part because the part that they love was being locked in a room. They love playing that instrument. And and the fact that they have to go on tour, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, okay, I guess I have to do this, but I I can't wait just to play this, just to hold this thing in my hands. And Keith, can you imagine, can you imagine if Ikigai was built into our school curriculum curriculum? And and as you mentioned it, these four phases over the four years in high school. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh no, no. It it should, my opinion, right. Is it, it should be the basis because like my son, he's me, right. He'll get A's in classes and get D's in classes. And I'm, and I'll say, why'd you get an A in this? Why'd you get a D in this? Because I love that. I'm like, well, you still have to do the work in the D stuff, you know? And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's, and I get it. It's like, I, it's, I have no, I have, I, I'm standing on a, like a one legged stool trying to tell him what to do because it's like, I'm not doing any of that stuff either. You know, I want to do the things that I, I love. I'm good at the world needs it and I can yep. be paid for it. So I got a, I got a great parallel yeah. story. I got a, my, you know, my son, the baseball player is a freshman and uh, he's studying business. And, you know, one of those things you have to do is, is you have to take business calculus, which is not an easy course. And, no, you know, I'm a guy that break you. All right. Well, I laugh because I'm, you know, I'm 55 years old at this point. I'm a graduate of Texas A&M from the business school. And, and I had to take business calculus way back when, right. I graduated college in 1990, uh, but they're still taking it today. And, and I told him, I said, listen, son, this is all you got to do. You just got to pass it. And, and of course he made an A, which is great, but you know, in 35 plus years in business, I've never once used any principle of business calculus, but, but, <laughs> so. but, 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 but I have a friend, Chris Parker, yep. he has a brewery and he has a top 10 burger in the United States. It's called third window brewing. If you're ever in Santa Barbara, you got to go there. Sounds uh, good. I'll his grandpa that. was, his grandpa was Fess Parker, you know, Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett. Chris is one of my best friends. Chris is an econ guy. Okay. You know, he is the big brain on Chris, right? He is, he loves economics. 
I like I like supply and demand, right? That's it. I'm good. But that class was for him. You know what I mean by that? Yep. He, that class he, was he loved for, it. Yeah, loved it, right? Because yep. oh, this makes sense. There's order with among this chaos. Right? Yes. Yeah. So that kid, believe me, we need that kid. Right? Yes. We need the Chris Parkers of this world. Maybe yep. it's not for you. And like I said to my son, I'm like, hey, listen. What you're good at, the school does not know how to test you for. And he goes, what? I go, listen, I thought I was a C person because I got C's. But that's a lie. And no one ever tells you this, but I'm telling you. You're not a C person. You're an A plus person. But the school education usually is there to grade you on what you've learned. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, I could drop you in the tasting room right now and you'll sell more wine than anybody there. These kids 14. Right. I mean, he, the fact that his face is on a bottle also helps, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, you know how to sell wine. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, you know, most people don't know how to do that. He's like, what? What? Why? And I'm like, because they've never been exposed to it. I'll, I could drop you in it, right now. This school is is trying to see how well a fish can ride a bicycle. But that's right. not what fish are good at. Right. Yep. I said, your your job is to do well enough in high school. Because they're keeping score to get into a college that we will find a place that when we drop you into that pool, it will be like releasing the apex predator into the wild because, oh, wait a minute. This is what this is about. Oh, let's get it on. You know? Yeah. And I I constantly find that the the juvenile delinquents of this world, the the unbroken spirits of this world. The kids that like I, I'm horribly dyslexic. I can't read, you know, I, I don't read for pleasure at all, ever. But when I figured out that you could, you know, fake certain things and get textbooks on tape, mm-hmm. game on. <laughs> because I would just pop in a, you know, a tape or a CD or whatever, and I would listen to my listen to the books and then I can ingest it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And. You know, I'd sit in an English class and they go, where's your book? I go, I don't have a book. And they go, what do you mean you don't have a book? I go, I listened to the book. They're like, well, that's cheating. I'm like, well, I'm uh, sorry, you know, but I got it in my brain. <laughs> um, you know, when people said, oh, there's never going to you're not going to walk around with a calculator all day. And I'm like, now, yeah, I pretty much do. Right. I got a calculator in my pocket all day long. So who are going to be the world winners coming forward? Right. It's yeah. not the kid who. You know, even with chat GPT now, like if I can, mm-hmm. I love it to a certain extent because I can ask something in stupid English and get a, get an answer that sounds like doctorate level. Right. Is it mm-hmm. totally plagiarizing a billion different things? Yes. But I'm not interested in the process. I just need the answer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but what are you going to do with that? Right. Mm-hmm. You need to be the creative person who can figure out what to do. To say it in a way that no one's ever heard it before, to say it in a way that hits home, that that when people read it or or hear it or see what you're doing, they go, oh, that's awesome. You know, I've never thought about it like that. And that's going to be the people who never get broken, that never conform, that their minds are going a mile a minute, that you know, that are off their, their ADHD medication because they are there to change the world. Mm -hmm. And those people are the people that no one knows how to control. 
Well, if you've got one of those, you know, water that plant. Yep. Well, and that's the beauty of, of this Japanese, you know, philosophy of ikigai, right? And yeah. do do me a favor, go back through what are those four phases exactly again? Well, first you find what you love. And that could be a million different things. And then you find what you're good at. And if you love it and you're good at it, that's very powerful. Then you find something that the world needs and that the world is willing to pay you for. I have a friend of mine. His name's Thomas Hagstrom. Great guy. He had an IT business and he said, uh, I'm, I don't like this anymore. And this was in COVID. And he took it upon himself to go from having a driver's license to becoming a commercial pilot. It's a great story. And he found out he loved it. He got up in a plane and he goes, wow, this is awesome. Right. And because Mm -hmm. he, he loved it, he spent time becoming good at it. Then there is right now, there's a 63,000 pilot deficit. Our country needs 63,000 more pilots than we have. Wow. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's why you never fly at the end of the month, because once they hit their hours, they're going to cancel the flights because there's not enough pilots. Mm. And when he got to that point, all of these airlines are recruiting him and they're like, we would like to pay you for your skills. He was going up in a plane to get to his commercial pilot's license and to get to 1500 hours, eight hours a day, nonstop for about six months. Wow. Just to rack up the hours. Now you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't subject yourself to that if you didn't love it. You know what I mean? If you weren't good at it, if you weren't enjoying that grind, that process, because Now he's going to be living the dream, right? He's going to be the person that, you know, is based out of here right now. He'll fly to New York on a, and hop on a plane to go have dinner because he can. And I'm like, what freedom, what, what a beautiful life that you are living. This is a dream. Like you're, you're an airline pilot back when, you know, catch me if you can, where people like a pilot would walk down and you're like a, you're a low grade astronaut at that point. He found the sweet spot where those four circles intersect. Exactly. Exactly. But you never would have said, right. I I got to say that to a a school. I was speaking in Lompoc at a junior high and I said, Hey, we were talking about Ikigai. And I go, who has something that they really are into? And this great girl, you know, junior high class said, uh, I like aviation. And I'm like aviation. And I went through that process and I said, just so you know, right now you could become a pilot. The world needs it. And if you like aviation and you want to get your license and you have the ability, don't stop. Because guess what? At the end of this is a great life, a life that you're really going to enjoy. And you're going to go, what do you do for a living? I fly planes across the country. How awesome is that? Right. You're not filing reports. Yeah. You're you're piloting a bird across the side (laughs) at like subsonic speeds. You know what I mean? That is so cool. You have wrangled the sky for your own enjoyment. Congratulations. You've done it. Oh, I love it. I mean, back to that. If we would teach that to kids, if we would teach that to kids, we would have a bunch of people that are not lamenting their job. Right. They're not. 
they are going, but this is my reason. This is why I get up in the morning. I'm going to do this no matter what. Yep. And then I love it. You take a person who is not seeking happiness, but satisfaction. And what kind of person that that's now I'll go back to my dad, right? My dad was not seeking happiness. He was seeking satisfaction. And because he was satisfied, he can now take his cup and pour it into yours until it overflows and pour it into that person and that person. Because when you are satisfied, you are now saying, oh, please, you have the last piece of pizza. Please, you take it. All of a sudden that that leans into making other people happy before yourself because you are satisfied. You're not you're not hoarding. You're not trying to take the last piece. You're saying, no, 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 I'm satisfied. I can't have another bite. Please, you take it. And then you start fostering this world of of let's help each other out. I have time to help you. I want Mm -hmm. to help you because I am myself happy. Therefore, I want to make you happy. And then that that momentum starts rolling. You know, it just starts rolling and it's hard to stop. That is very, very powerful. Wow. Thank you. Thanks for diving into that. That was, oh, I was hoping we were sorry, way too, there and we way did. too la- Way too long. If you got, no, no, no. I'm uh, I love it. No, no, no. Now, Hey, we're going to, we're going to swing back now. Sure. Um, Cause I want to, I've got a few more items about the wine business that just oh, intrigues please. me. So, you know, it's a family operation. Yep. But, uh, you know, I'm curious as, as how does family remain involved and who oh, yeah. else is active in the business? Right. I know you do oh, so much of it on your own, but there's a whole team behind. No, you. No, give no, us, no. Give it. Give, give us some insights into kind of what that looks like. Sure. Um, so my my dad was my farmer. Um, that's a good way to put it, because that's what his dream was of what he wanted to do. And I think the real fun part for him was knowing that his son was going to buy his fruit. And we used to, like I said, we used to sell our songs because that was a good way to put it. Cause you know, winemaking is the performance of the song. And when you are farming it for yourself, you will go all of the extra miles and the fruit that we pick come from our property. So we're hundred percent estate, which is unbelievably rare. We don't sell fruit to anybody else anymore. They all go in a Sarlos and sons bottle, um, or Wayland and Wayland is my two cousins and they're, they both just had kids. I'm very, very happy for them. They live up here. Um, Brad is, I would always say like the, my controller, it's a good way to put it. Um, he's making sure all the tax. He, he makes sure I don't go to jail. There's a good way to put it. He makes <laughs> yes. sure all the taxes get paid and all of this, that, and the other. Um, he also runs our shipping company um, where we ship for other people. Uh, my cousin Greg is the, you know, winemaker is a great way to describe it. He's up in the cellar. He loves that. He is making sure that the barrels are babysat every day. Um, everything's topped up. You know, he's like when I'm running, like when during harvest, it's very, very crazy. So um, also I should throw in there Zach Santa Cruz, which is Brad and Greg's cousin. He also works for me. Um, he runs the club and makes sure all the other stuff gets out. Uh, when we go out and harvest. And that's, the, also, that's the, the, the wine club. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Feel free to join. Um, and then um, Pedro Rea and Alfonso Rea are two brothers. Um, they uh, a good way to describe that. They've been, they've been working with my dad and on with the property for geez, 25 years now. And uh, a 
put that in perspective. My Pedro was getting married, um, asked my dad and mom to come to the wedding. My dad said, absolutely. And when they went to the wedding, uh, my dad, my dad said, uh, it was all in Spanish and I didn't understand anything, but I followed along. And then when they went to the reception, my dad was looking for where he was sitting and Pedro had my father and my mother sit at the father and mother uh, table uh, alongside of him. Wow. And when uh, my dad passed away, it was, it was Pedro Alfonso, me and my brother who lost our dad. Mm. And that's kind of, is that's Pedro's my brother more than anything else. And he is daily making sure that, you know, he knows where every pipe is, knows where everything is. Uh, I depend on him a ton uh, and we're really great friends. And, but that I wouldn't consider Paylor, you know, Pedro and Alfonso aren't employees. They're my brothers. Mm -hmm. Um, Then uh, uh, my, when we come to harvest, you know, my mom's out there, my wife's out there, my two kids are out there all picking. Um, my daughter makes our Sauvignon Blanc. My son's involved in our Rosé. Um, you know, and when I say picking, picking's not fun. You know, it's, it's 2 AM <laughs> in the middle of the cold or dark and frozen. Mm-hmm. And my mom and the girls are usually on the back of the tractor in the picking bins, throwing out any fruit or leaves or anything we don't want to eat. So mm-hmm. our, it's our last chance of, um, quality assurance and they don't let anything go in that we don't want. And so from the very top to the very bottom, you know, my, we don't have a designer. My wife designs our whole tasting room, which I really think is beautiful. What time of year, what time of year is the harvest? Uh, I start getting real antsy in August and it lasts through Thanksgiving. Okay. So basically August to November. Yeah. So we pick when things are ready more than uh, by any timetable or anything else. So okay. it's, it's all by taste and sampling and and saying, I don't know. I don't know. Yes. Now pick it tomorrow. You know, <laughs> and then how it's long like does that uh, does that in the picking process? You mentioned 2 a.m. It's. Oh, yeah. So we'll I mean, pick all talking, morning. How many how many days does that go on for? Oh, months. Because we'll pick, you know, we could pick five tons because that's ready. That other, that's not ready over there. This is almost ready. Uh, what is the weather going to be like? What are our influences? Do we need to get it off? Is it going to rain? Uh, is it going to be a heat spike? Uh, are we going to miss the window of opportunity? There's, it, it gets pretty gnarly. Yeah, and during and then, harvest, that's, that's seven days a week. It's just till it's done, right? You just well, yeah. So picking is usually five days a week or depending and then because sometimes we won't pick for two weeks but we picked something and so then you know like you know i'm dry i'm picking i'm put throwing it on the truck i'm driving the truck to the winery winery unloading it going through the crush process and then uh with greg we've got uh cory and and maybe another intern this year and then we go through that whole process because picking it's only one portion of it, making it's a totally different portion of it than babysitting. It's another portion of it. And then getting it ready, ready to bottle is a totally other thing. And then now do you, and do you do you all of that on site? Do you do it all on your own property? No, our, our winery is about a mile and a half up the road. It's called area 51. No one knows where it is. 
Okay. Um, it's literally <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, you have to drive through uh, Jurassic Park to get the. It's it. It sounds so hilarious, but it's like, you know. Usually, I said, okay, I'm going to bring you up to the winery. At some point, you're going to feel like I'm taking you somewhere to murder you, but I'm not. <laughs> oh, no. You know, the winery is literally in the middle of nowhere. Oh, and that's cool. Our winery has a really cool lineage because, uh, you know, Firestone made their first wines there. Uh, uh, Fess Parker made their wines there. Andrew Murray made his wines there. And then uh, Firestone Walker Brewing, uh, Firestone Brewing Company is uh, pretty regionally United or California, West Coast, but 805 beers making their way across the 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 country Um, that's also the firestone family and that that their brewery started in our facility so it's like it's a really i love it uh you know because there's our there's wineries that are for show and then there's wineries that are for go and ours is for go that is very cool all right i'm glad i asked that question that's perfect yeah (laughs) and uh so obviously the passion here and this is a passion question yeah what are some of your favorite aspects of making wine I truthfully, you know, um, I, I have, I have fallen in love with every piece of it because there is, I'm not very good at factory work. Um, my, my attention will ping pong all over the place and it drives me insane. Like bottling day is without a doubt the worst day for me because, you know, we do it like six times a year and just thousands of you know it's hours but it's it's bottles moving on a conveyor belt that we're filling up and it's like oh my gosh it's like i want to scratch my eyes out by the end of the day Um, because it's like no man it's like it's like having a i always describe it it's like having a a a boat idle you know it's like yep you don't want you want to be in a boat you hammer it down I love yep. the hammer down, right? It run it nonstop for eight hours. I love it. But like when it's just idling, it's like, oh my gosh, here we go. Um, but the part I love is it's easy to say the beautiful things, right? It's easy to say, you know, they don't really plant vineyards in ugly spots. Right. Um, and beauty, I would always say, is my my Achilles heel. Because if something's beautiful, I, I, I'll do anything. You know, I, I will absolutely do anything um, for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we go from a process of when we pick it and we bring it to the winery and it's going through fermentation. I'm basically back on the tractor while that's happening. Um, while Greg has everything safe and sound and I'm already ripping the field because I want to prepare for rain. Um, there's always some next thing to do. Okay. And there's, and no matter what you're doing, as you approach the end of anything, there's the next thing that you're usually pretty excited about because okay. like, Oh, now we're going to do this. So if we re if we rip and then we disc and then we have to plant seeds, uh, for a cover crop. And then, you know, that grows, you get all this rain that we had this year, which was awesome. But then we're also, Oh, we got to rototill it. We got to mow it. We got to bring this down. Oh, we, now the buds are coming out. We need to be out there for frost protection. So I'll sleep in my truck for two weeks. If we're in frost season, just to be there and flip it all on when we need to. Um, then, uh, you know, rototill it all back in. Then we start, you know, training. Then we start, uh, removing uh uh things that we don't want in the vine in the vines because if we let too many uh shoots grow then we'll have 
too much fruit and we want quality, not quantity. So then we have to go through and cut that. And now we're training as the vines are growing about an inch a day, we're training them through the wires. Then we're going to get into a portion where it's always, like I'm saying, it's always a voice in the next room, right? That's Mm -hmm. it. Come on, come on. Hey, over here, over here. And so as this process unfolds, you know, like mowing, it'll take me 40 hours nonstop to if I start at one vineyard and just start mowing and then mow straight through and then bring the tractor to the other vineyard and mow there, it takes about 40 hours of just mowing. Right. So that's a, that's a full work week. Yeah. And I, you got to do that on top of your other work week. Mm -hmm. And so that process, you have to love it because like, Brooks said it to me really. What are you doing today, Keith? I said, I'm mowing. And he said it in the best way. It was the greatest gift because mowing sucks. Um, Because you're basically (laughs) trapped in a, it's loud, it's dusty. And I just started consuming books like on Audible. I'm like, if I'm going to be stuck in here, I'm going to make myself better. Um, Smart. And he goes, Well, everywhere you go today, the world becomes more beautiful. Oh, that's good. Okay, thank you. So now every every time I mow, what are you doing? Making the world more beautiful. It's totally different mindset. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. My, but my that's, grandpa but said it. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, it's one of the cool things about, you know, your work is that there's this calendar it follows, right? The seasonal calendar. Mm-hmm. But the actual situations by day, week, and month vary based on the conditions, right? That are, that are, that are happening around you. So you've got diversity, even though you're doing the same things every year, it's, it's a different sequence and priority. And And that keeps it interesting. Oh, and luckily, as soon as I'm sick of something, there's something new that I have to get done. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's labels, right? I design all of our labels and, and coming up with names and tastes and wines and, and, and doing that kind of stuff. Right. And, and that's a totally different, that is something that I have assembled. My wife said it really well. She's like, this is everything you've ever been good at. Right. Like I had friends who had a design company and, and started a really uh, successful clothing company. And I, we would just hang out and they taught me how to do il- you know, how to use illustrator. Yeah. And I have friends who are, uh, you know, unbelievable artists. And I go, Hey, how do you do this? And they'll be like, Oh, like this. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. So I get to stand on, you know, their shoulders. Keith, you are, you are the Ikigai principle in practice. I, 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 that's why when I finally, you know, my friend Jaime Macias, I think he's the one that showed me, he goes, you know what this, have you heard of this? And I said, no. And he showed it to me. And it was like, it was 100% a holding the Holy grail for me. Yeah. Where I went, I'm not good at anything. Well, that's another aspect of it. Like, I'm not good at anything. My brother, I've always been envious of him because he knew what he was good at. Right. He Mm -hmm. knew he was great at baseball and played in the pros at the highest level. And I, I was envious. Like, how do I not know what my purpose is? Right. And so I spent a huge amount of time trying to figure what it was. Mm-hmm. And I, where my brother is, you know, um, is a needle of what he's great at, right? He is a needle that points up into the air higher than anyone else about, he is one of the greatest baseball minds there is. He just is 
right? Mm-hmm. He's he's calling pitches. He's a head coach, but he still calls the pitches because he he's he's playing chess. You know, he mm-hmm. sees a game I don't see. And yeah. it's so far beyond that. It, it's like when you, you're talking about that business calc or, you know, whatever. Yeah, he's when, you know, when he sees that math, he's he sees that math problem on the board and he's like he just writes a number at the end. It, that's he's awesome. But for me, I, I'm not that I'm, a, I'm I've had to become. And the thing I like is that I've become a generalist where I think I can become 86% good at anything relatively quickly. <laughs> I love that. I love right. it. One of the things that's endearing is you've got a very self deprecating personality. No, it's not. But no, no, no. It's the not. Truth is you're really, but the truth is you're really good at a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> self deprecating means you're, you don't believe it when you're trying to like make yourself uh, seem crappy. I know I'm crappy. Like no oh, one, no. <laughs> no one hates Keith Sarlos more than Keith Sarlos. I can guarantee that. But becoming that generalist, it, it was, it was just learning how to to do a lot of things at probably eighty six percent, right? But for anybody, like I would say, like to get from eighty six to ninety takes one thousand times more effort. Right. Yeah. Think about it. Like, yeah. go back to golf. If you're to break 70. Right. Yep. Is like you have a you're it's more likely you'll be hit by lightning than break 70. Uh, not true. What, what's that? <laughs> not true. Is it not true? No, not true. Oh, I, it's for very what possible. I, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. But the amount very of time possible. and effort that you put into that. Right. It does to take break time. that. It yep. takes time and effort. And uh, and for me, yep. I don't have that kind of time. But right. So but I get it, to 86 and then I'll move on to the next thing and I'll get to 86 and I'll move on to the next thing and I'll yep. get 86. Well, and that's kind of what I've done in my life. I will tell you, though. So we're just going to go on this golf tangent for a second. And uh, there is a ton of time involved and a ton of skill involved to, to be able to break 70. But truthfully, the most important capability, assuming you have a base level of skill, right? Meaning you can hit the ball in the direction you intend and within, you know, 10 or 15% of the distance that you, you don't have to be perfect. Sure. The the most obvious it's right there in front of everybody is good decision-making. And totally, you know, if, if, right, if you can, can make decisions on the golf course that minimize your risk, avoid, basically you're avoiding the big numbers, then it's absolutely possible. And I'll use you as a reference. When you and I were speaking a few days ago, you mentioned that you had gone out and I think you made four birdies. Uh, Three. Isn't that three Three birdies? Okay. So you made, you made, you made three birdies, right? But what kept you from, you know, scoring below 70 on that day was the others, right? Mm-hmm. And if you go back and look at the others, you know, a lot of that's decision making and, and where you, you know, you hit a shot and, you, sure. and all of a sudden you walk off with a triple bogey and you're like, what happened? Right. Yep. So that's that beauty of golf is, is once you get the basic skill, the game is really about decision-making and strategy sure. and, and putting the ball in the right place. So, uh, you know, one of those things in golf, um, I keep saying, know, I just want to be kind to my next shot. Yeah, it's, it's true. But that next level, yeah. so I play some tournament golf and Ooh. that, that next level 
is you don't always want to be pin high. Right. If you've got a, let's call it a 158 yard shot and you're going to hit whatever, maybe you're going to hit an eight iron and that eight iron goes 158 yard, 158 yards and you're whole high. But when you get to the green, you realize you've got this crazy downhill side hill putt that you're going to make one in a hundred. When, when you look at a professional, they'll understand what that green's like in advance and they'll put the ball in a position where they have most, most likelihood to make the putt. And it might be they hit that shot 145 yards and have a, you know, a 13 yard uphill putt, but that's literally their best chance to make a par. So, right. I 100% agree with you. This is where I differ. Ready? Mm -hmm. How is I have, I am in love with learning new things, right. Mm -hmm. Of being capable at new things. Yep. And when when you say like that, that level of involvement to me, it's like to become a tournament player. How many hours have you dedicated just to that one thing? To me, I the, the panic that sets in inside of myself is what are the all the other things that I could be learning right now mm-hmm. to get from 86 to 90? Right. And that 90 to 95, I have nothing but admiration for anybody who's like, nope, this is my thing. Keith Sarlos does not have a thing. I just don't. Wine is the collaboration of all the things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And wine's the byproduct. Yeah. Right. It's, I'm, it's, I am. I am not a specialist. Yep. Yep. It's beautiful. But, you know, I, I, you don't, you know, for, for golf is one thing I do. I like it. I enjoy it, but I do a lot of other things as well. Um, but I enjoy, Oh, I enjoy the process, right? I enjoy the, the tweaks and the things I love. I love like the mechanics of the game, oh, the achievable uh, I, goals. Uh, yeah. I love playing with the tools, the toys, yes. right. Yep. Getting the loft yep. and the lie. I mean, I just enjoy that whole piece and it's uh, it's fun. So, but I got to get going back to going back to golf. The one thing I would say to you, I think that the one, one of the most interesting things about golf that I've, I've learned recently is the irons, the putter and the driver. Mm -hmm. The fact that all three of them are totally different swings to me is, is that's the part of it now to me that has become really interesting because now I'm not playing golf anymore. There is a loft game. There is a short game. Mm -hmm. There is a putting game. There is a driving game and all of those. And I'm like this, Oh, this is pulling me in. It like, instead of it just being golf now, I'm like, there's five games inside this game. Oh my gosh. There's more to do. And there if are. I play well, I can't, it's like, I love surfing. Surfing's like, I would always say my number one sport I love. Yeah. But the one thing, like if you catch the best wave of your life, you never paddle in no surfer, no surfer in this world has ever paddled in after the greatest wave of their life. They kick Just out ride it all the way. No, they're paddling. They will paddle back out because of the optimism of it. Mm. Right. I'm going to go get the next best wave of my life. Yes. Every single time. Okay. Understood. And golf. Yep to me is if I play well, I can't wait to play again. But if I play like garbage, I am, I, I will be obsessed for most of the next day. <laughs> like I, I, like I've recently lost some weight, which is great, but I'm in 
injected golf into it because I wanted to go on golf trips with my brother because that sounded like fun and I suck. And I, he's like, well, you got to get better. So I just played. I've been playing every day at he, hitting at least a bucket of balls. And cool. now I use it as a, a carrot. Like I'm like, just skip lunch. Just skip lunch and you can go hit a bucket. Okay. Okay. And it, <laughs> and I used to make fun of people like my cousin, Brad loves golf and I would make fun of it. Now I'm like this. No, no, no. I've, I've, I've tasted the forbidden fruit. I'm in. Yes. Is, it's a lot of fun. I'm like, I'm never going to get good at this. And I'm in love with that. Oh, that's so good. That is awesome. I love it. I didn't All mean right, to I, hijack it. No, I, it's, it's beautiful. I've actually gotten I, three texts from golf buddies going, can anybody get out this afternoon? And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, the drug so man that's it's so, so horrible fun. that is so fun that's what i've 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 heard golf being paralleled to like having a you know a, i guess a a, a a crack addiction or something it's like you you know once once people start doing it you never see them again oh i i'm i'm a hundred <laughs> i'm a hundred percent well the my nice thing is we have a wonderful course up here um and <laughs> that i was a member of for like five years and i would always joke that i'm gonna play my one expensive round a year and not really care about it yeah. because i knew if i here's my problem i knew if i'd care it would just suck me in and yes i have a bunch of buddies that i golf with and we have a, you know, we tear into each other and they're probably the funniest guys I know. And now that we golf together, I'm like, Oh, we were golf buddies that didn't golf. And they yeah. go, yeah, now we're golfing. This is great. Yeah. So, that's, yeah. you know, that's the, um, literally the most enjoyable aspect that I, I, the, the community of golf. Um, I've got, you know, one of my, one of my great friends was actually a, a, an episode um, there's actually both two of my really good friends were, were guests. One's happens to be an expert in the world of uh, multi-sport Ironman events. Yeah. I the other one, that one. Yeah. That was really good. Okay. Very good. And then the other one happens to be uh, a 30 year old guy that is unbelievably successful. And I'm, you know, I'm old enough to be his father, but we're buddies and we hang out yeah. and we do life. Right. He just had his first, first uh, baby was just born this year. Awesome. And um, you know, he's actually, uh, friends with my son as well. Who's one of my oldest son is 21 and it, it, golf is a game that, that surpasses generations. And, and, uh, you can go out there and literally play with someone who's 80 and, and have somebody else in the group that's 18 and you're having a blast and, and uh, do what you do. So I hate it. It's, <laughs> I love it. All right. I'm going back again. Yeah, here. please so talking about wine. And I'd like to know about your, your most memorable experience in making wine. What's the one thing that stands out above all the others? Well, I would have to say we actually just released it. I, I, we made a wine. Um, well, there's so many. Um, probably the most meaningful. Uh, we just rela- released a wine called Big Lair. And I uh, on the label, I have a picture of my dad looking out while we're harvesting and he wasn't posing or anything. And I, it was before digital cameras. It was like a little instamatic, you know, zip, 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 click. Mm -hmm. And I just snapped a picture of it. And I, I look at it now, uh, you know, back then it was just, this is what we're doing today. And up early and working hard and, you know, dirty, sweaty, blah, blah, blah. But now I look at it. And I say, oh, my gosh, look at that picture and look how little the vines are and look how little the trees are. And this is one of this is our first harvest. And I I see my dad standing there 
looking over all of it. And I I know I'm I shouldn't be do I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if if the orchard worked. Yeah. And I know if it was a vineyard, my dad never would have bought it because that seems too highfalutin, you know, yeah. Fuji apples, yeah. who cares? Grapes, Ugh, wine, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when I see, when I can now stand and look back at where we've been, the wounds have become scars and the scars have become metals. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of what we're doing. I'm very proud that, you know, we don't sell in any stores or any restaurants. We pick the hardest way to do this where people have to come here to buy it and taste it and, and join our club, our family. And, and a lot of those people have become friends over years. I've, I've officiated weddings for people I met here. I've, we had a, a couple who, were you know married and and they just went wine tasting one weekend and they had to use the bathroom and we let people use our bathroom here it's that's a whole other story but you're not supposed to and and i'm like i don't care you know our bathroom costs us like 10 grand a year um wow. well there we don't have a sewer you know it's septic okay. and it's a whole yeah. thing anyway yeah uh yeah. long long story short we were kind to them yeah come on go use the bathroom and they stood they stayed and tasted wine and then they got really into it and and now it's a big part of their marriage like they love wine they love food they we we introduce them to the art that is wine Mm -hmm. you know because like we could i'll have that same conversation like we were just having that like you know if you don't play golf and you just heard us talk about golf you're like what a bunch of dorks right and i totally agree because i would have torn into us like one year ago um (laughs) without a doubt i'm like dude that's that's like you know i i get it um but once you get into it like nobody says i used to be into wine right yeah you're just you're how deep are you yet and okay i had people that were that uh, Zach and his beautiful wife, you know, they came in. He's like, I don't know anything about wine. And we sat down and I said, well, this is why I like it. And now they travel on wine trips. Like they go to beautiful places and eat delicious food and enjoy art and, and want culture because what wine does is it opens your eyes to very unique things. Like, yeah. you know, you don't want to eat a McDonald's cheeseburger, even though it's genetically made to taste perfect uh, with a bottle of wine because there's no art in it. Right. Mm-hmm. If somebody cooks a home cooked meal and you're sitting around a table and you pull out a great bottle of wine, it's one of the last things where you put a little in everyone's glass and everybody's having a shared experience at the same time, tasting the same thing, listening yeah. to the same thing in the same room, enjoying conversation that Chris, like opening a bottle of wine is like that Christmas dinner. Anytime you want. It's very poetic. It is. And, it's poetic because there's a thing called terroir, which means sense of place and Paul Tarr. And, and I was lucky to be a group part of it. They're senior fellows at Caltech. We, we mathematically proved that terroir exists and terroir means sense of place. So the wines that we are making from our vineyard cannot be grown anywhere else. They, we can, you can, you can mix the paint to make it taste like something else, but 
But the truest expression of it this year is one time, one time only. And there it is. And we got to capture it. We got to release the soul from the grape and put it into a bottle so that you can taste it 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And you're not making Coca-Cola. No, 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 no. We are. We are basically packaging. We are growing something from the dirt in the San Ynez Valley in Los Olivos, California, Windmill Ranch and the high hill right there. And that hill tastes different than that hill. And we make it the same. We treat it the same. We bring it to the winery. We let it go through the whole process. We put it in a bottle. We name it after someone we're either honoring or someone that we're preparing the way for. And then you bring it home and you open it with people you love. Like, I want to I want to play a song for you. But instead of it being a song, it's something that you get to ingest. You get to taste it. You get to feel it, you know, rolling around your palate. It, it, you, the, the perfume of it lingers in your in your on your skin and in your nose. And it's kind of that 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 manufactured vibe where, you know, they're pumping the smells out so that when you smell it, you want to come in. Right. All of those things. None of it, none of it. If I put it on a spreadsheet, none of it is, has any value. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. But those are the things that make life worth living. Like I, I see God in it, you know, well, it's beautiful. not, it's not yeah. numbers. It's yeah. not, uh, it's not, uh, a cheat, you know, it's not, um, a conquest is it's none of those things. It's the beauty of staring out at the ocean. It's the beauty of a sunset, a sunrise of, of sleeping under the stars of, uh, hugging your kids of, you know, all of the stuff that on, on paper has zero value, zero value, but it's all the things that make life worth living. And the part about wine that I have find so, entangling like i owe wine so much more than i can never pay it back for what it's given me like if i was in any other job i wouldn't be on a podcast with you talking about ikigai and my brother and why i love him and my mom (laughs) and my dad and my kids seriously if i was just like you know the marketing guy for whatever xyz company yep none of this is here None of it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's just not here. I'm not trying to tell you a life that it's a, no, it's a beautiful life. Yeah. And you are a blessed guy now. And it is uh, earned. It is 100% earned, which I I truly also enjoy. That's the thing is, is you're waking up every day and, and I mean, you're working the farm. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely working the farm. And, uh, Oh, it's awesome. Um, I'm a farmer with customer service. (laughs) <laughs> which is really a weird dichotomy. So, so there's one other thing I, I, I wanted to get to earlier and we just have it, but it, it, it no, no, sparked back into my mind. I, I blocked so, out my whole morning. Go ahead. Beautiful. Well, so, you know, we've talked about this farm. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and obviously you're growing grapes and that's the product and that's yep. the, the deal, but your, your father actually started a whole nother aspect of it. And I believe it's still going on today, yeah. but it's the, the cattle ranch yeah. and yeah, yeah. right. And, and what I've gathered and, and we're going to get into your social media here in a little bit, sure. but what I've gathered through your social media is, is that you're actually basically 
helping others and, and helping the Valley with fire control sure. through how, what you're doing with your cattle operation. So please tell us a little about that cattle operation that your dad started and, yeah. and what that's all about. Cause I think it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so my, my dad lo- loved cattle, loved raising them, you know, being from the dairy supply business, he just liked being around them a lot. And there's, you know, cattle are pretty great. They really are. They're just beautiful. And, you know, there's a, there's something inherently beautiful about, you know, five cows on a hill, uh, just munching <laughs> on the grass. It just, you know, cowboy paintings are all over the place. Right. Yep. Um, there's something awesome about a bull where it is something monstrous and terrifying yet completely relaxed in its own world. And so we've raised cattle for years and, and then my buddy uh, Zach was staying in the barn, living, staying at the barn while uh, the house was getting set up. And, uh, he goes, Keith, what are you doing with your cattle operation? And I said, well, I'm just, you know, I wanted to keep it going. And, you know, after dad passed away and, and he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, what do I, what do I want to do? He said, yeah. I said, I want to have the top 1% herd in the nation and I want to raise our cattle and then, um, be able to give them the best life they've ever had. And then they have one bad day and we can feed a lot, of, a lot of people with it. We could give, uh, you know, uh, the ground beef can go to Chris Parker and he can put them in his burgers. We can give away uh, 10% of the, the beef to our local churches so they can put them in their food boxes because, you know, they never get fresh beef. Um, I want to uh, use these cattle because like we have them all over the valley on, you know, people's property. Maybe they've gotten a little older and they don't want to work their hill. And I'll say, oh, I'll turn out six cows over on your, you know, 20 acres. And then they just mow it down for them and they get the pleasure of looking at them and not have to worry about them. And then we kind of found out that what we were doing is providing a four legged fire protection. Cause if a fire rolls through and, you know, uh, a brush fire, we have become the defensible position for the fire department because there's no fuel where our cattle are, um, because they've mowed it all down. And then we move them all over the valley and and put them on other people's property and, you know, uh, clean up their their hillsides for them, because usually that's pretty steep. And eventually I want to get to the point. And right now, our biggest problem is finding a butcher. So because it's like they only want to deal with like big guys and full truckloads and find a a USDA uh, certified butcher for, you know, butchering one cow a month um so that we can sell them you know sell our our wine club t-bone steaks and 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 eat them you know that's that's our next step and my son's gotten involved and my so my 14 year old son artificially inseminated uh all of our cattle and preg checked them all you know i'm like hey boy it's you know it's fun to be country until it's time to do country shit so hop over (laughs) let's go and he's like what do i have to do i'm like yeah you're going you're going elbow deep pal um (laughs) and he i'm like don't gag don't cry you'll be fine and uh and he did it and he loved it and he was good at it and oh, that's so cool. kind of made me smile. And, and I'm like, you're that I say, you see all those cows over there. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, you're their dad. And he's like, oh, that's weird. But I think, it's weird. <laughs> um, but so we, we've been doing that and you know, the, it's just, it's a real pleasurable thing to do. And I like it because I have a fun relationship with all the people who 
uh, I have cattle on their property. Like one of them, you know, someone left a gate open and, and this wonderful woman, Cheryl said, and she comes out and takes pictures and sends them to me. And there's like a cow standing on her front lawn, eating, eating flowers. Right. And he's like, someone left the gate open. And so they like, you know, shushed him and got him back in. And and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. She goes, no, it was pretty funny. I, I thought it was hilarious. Right. And it was like, oh, this is good. So the cattle operation is a, another little aspect of what we do. But it's kind of a it's it's totally a whole package. You know what I mean? So we're yeah. we're also raising all of our um uh, grain and everything out in our field, which we're going to bale and cut and and stack up for the winter and so it's like I said, there is always something to do and it's fun to, you know, I, I planted seed for bailing like four years in a row and nothing came up because we've been in this horrible drought. And then this year I did it and we get six feet of rain and now it's like six feet tall. It's absolutely awesome. But you know, it's a life lesson where every, like my son was there and I said, you see this? And he goes, yeah, this is amazing. I said, you know, everybody drives by this thinks we're lucky. He goes, why? I said, because we have six feet of uh, feed out here and we're going to bail it and everything else. And he goes, but they think it's luck. I said, nobody knows that. I planted this at cost for years and got nothing. Yeah. But this year I win. And they, I go, but if anybody ever calls you lucky, take it as a compliment. And he's like, why is that? I'm like, because they don't know how hard you work to get lucky. And he goes, all right, got it. So it's one of those things. It's feast or famine and you just got to be out there doing it 90% of the time. And Mm, that's when luck strikes, you know, it does. It does. Okay. Now Keith, you've had, you've had recently a very interesting opportunity where you participated at Texas Christian university. Oh yeah. As a, as a guest speaker. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Take Tell us about that. Um, well, uh, my daughter's going to be going there next year. As she, as we'd like to say, she, you know, she could have gone to any school she wanted to, but she chose TCU, which we're very happy about. Um, you know, now she's leaving one snow globe for the other, which is really fun. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing but impressed for that by that school and not because my brother's a coach there, but just the general, everybody I've come in contact with the the staff, the the people, uh, the facilities it's from the chancellor all the way down. It, it is nothing less than amazing in all honesty. And we went in and, and, uh, Molly, who's, she's the head of this, uh, uh, school supply chain. And, uh, we were out and, and, she said, Hey, would you ever want to come and speak? I go, absolutely. Pick a, pick a week that there's a home, a home stand and I'm out here. Right. So then I get to fly out and speak a little bit and then stick around and watch some baseball and hang out with my family. It's always great. And I got put on a, a panel. Uh, we were talking about su- supply chain and sustainability. And to my right was someone who made F-15 jets. And to my left was a wonderful woman who basically ran all the railroads in the Western United States. <laughs> and so they were talking about billions and employees and thousands and this and that. And, you know, uh, their uh, sustainability standards for what they're doing and this and that. And then I said, hi, my name's Keith Sarlos. I have 12 employees and I'm a farmer. And, <laughs> and I was speaking to a group of supply chain professionals, but I got to give them, you know, more of the boots on the ground. Right. I said, listen, if, if what we're doing is not sustainable, we don't eat tomorrow. Yeah. And our supply chain is very small and it's by design and our understanding of, you know, the, 
people talk about, are you organic? Are you this? I said, no, but I am sustainable. And they said, well, what does that mean? I said, we do the best possible thing because a farmer is like, you know, you watch the news now and it, you think that farmers are trying to kill us. And the truth of it is, no, 1.5% of the population feeds the other 98%, 98.5% three times a day. And farmers are the first conservationists. Are there, are there big farming companies that are out there doing bad stuff? Absolutely. And we should stop them. But when you talk about the, the family farm, it's, it's the heart. It's the lifeblood. It's the, in truth, the optimism of, the, of, of America. And because if you, you know, you've never met a farmer who's not an optimist, because if they're not an optimist, they're probably not a farmer anymore. And that lifeblood of, of most of our country is out there, you know, making it happen every single day and and trying to put food on the table for not only their family, but everybody else's. And uh, like going back to my grandpa, the, it's a noble profession. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really exciting to be able to to speak on a panel to a, a lot of big decision makers about what they're doing. And, you know, you can corporations are easy to get lost in because there's someone above you, below you and on your sides. And, and most of the time people are trying to keep their heads down so they don't get shot at. But when you when you're the only person there, it's like you got a target right on you and you're like, shoot at me, I guess. Yeah, so I got well, to speak on that panel. It was a lot of fun. It was it was it was fun to be the little guy on a, in a big world. I love well, that. By any, by any chance. I mean, do, do you know if that was recorded and posted and available anywhere for viewing? I don't I don't think so. Honestly, um, no, but the, the real height to me was uh, Michael Schellenberger got to speak of, about his new book, Apocalypse Never, which I think everybody should read. It was really, really awesome. It was, what okay. a guy. Very good. Well, thanks for sharing that. It must have been a special experience. That's, that's oh, really yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, anytime somebody's like, would you know, it's, it feels like quite an honor if somebody thinks that you have enough to say or you're saying it in such a way that it makes people think a little differently mm-hmm. and to be able to, you well, know, just like this, it's like, yeah, you're doing I? a lot of things, right. And I'm going to, we're going to take a little bit of a detour here back to your, yeah. your relationship with your brother. By the way, I'm um, real impressed by you keeping me on task. This is great. I love it. <laughs> I'm having fun. Full in a China this shop. Is, That's me. This is why I created this, this, this podcast is to share. And you're doing a great job of, at it. of other I, people. I, I listened to the whole, I listened to everything you posted, man. And you're doing well. You're doing well. You're getting better oh, too, which is real impressive. <laughs> well, thank you. It's a, it's a fun journey for me. Awesome. So uh, baseball is a commonality between our two families. Mm-hmm. And I've read that you hate baseball. Yeah. And I'm really not quite sure that's true. You, you and your brother Kirk have a very special relationship that we've talked about today. And you actually wrote a great tribute to him. And it was, I believe you posted on social media. Yeah. But ultimately, it was republished in Sports Illustrated in yeah. June of 2022. Yeah. Take us back there. What, what caused you to write this? Um, yeah, I do hate baseball. And I hated baseball because uh, because I was a young man. I think that's the right answer. And it was something my dad loved and something my brother was good at. And the, the punk in me said, well, I don't want any part of that. You know, I need to figure out whatever I'm good at. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't like I hated it. I mean, I went to so many baseball games. It was a punishment. 
And after my dad passed away, because that was something that was really special between my dad and my brother. It just was. My dad loves the game. Uh, my brother is a great player because my my brother loved holding the glove in his hand and loved throwing. And my dad would get home from work and my dad wouldn't even go in the house. He'd run in the backyard and they'd play catch until nobody could see the ball anymore. Hmm. And uh, I was jealous of it in all honesty. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm old enough now to, to know that. And after my dad passed away, I said to my brother, I will watch every game because I, I wanted him to know that someone in our family was going to, was still there watching, listening to every game. And if it wasn't going to be my dad, it'd be me. And so I did. And I, I did it to, to not only support my brother, but because I wanted to see what my, what he and my dad loved about it. And we're very similar. So there's probably something in there. I love that's why I started golfing. Um, and watching it and seeing the game develop in a different way in my eyes was really fun to watch. And then being able to, you know, as soon as the game's over, I would text my brother or call him or whatever. And then I got to ask the head coach of the game. I just watched questions and he would tell me. And it became something that I love now. Like when I'm in a tractor and they're like today, there's going to be a game. I know I need to frame my day so that I'll be doing something that will allow me to listen to the game. That is awesome. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll mow or I'll be in the tractor or I'll do something where I got to just use my hands and I can have my, my headphones in. Mm -hmm. And so that post I wrote about my brother um, it was a real special weekend. My brother was uh, named head coach. Last year was his first year, and they were Big 12 champions. Kirk was coach of the year. I mean, wow. It's a Power Five conference. That's the real, I mean, that's the best of the best. Best of the best. And uh, they were playing um, AM. And they were playing there, College Station. And it was going to be a doubleheader. And a friend of mine said, do you want to go to the game? And I said, let's go. And so my wife and he and I flew out there and went to the game. It was 100 degrees and it was 100% humidity. And they were, they played two games in a row. And I watched, I was, I, it was the small pocket of purple in a, in a, a ferocious fan base. I mean, mm-hmm. ferocious. Like I'm an Aggie. Have, I am, I'm an Aggie. And so that's, yeah. it is a, uh, a very, you are the 12th uh, man. Engaged is a very engaged fan base. Oh yeah. I, if I was an Aggie, I'd love them, but I'm not. So I hate them. Right. Yep. And yep, so exactly. the, 12th, the 12th man, like I get it. I get it now. And we were there. I mean, they were chance. There were, it was like going to a, a, a soccer game in Europe. You know, that's the mm-hmm. only way I could put it like where it was like that level of participation yeah. and they were playing uh, 
their head coach was the coach that was the head coach at TCU the year before. And mm-hmm. they had, if, if TCU won, they had to play at home against Texas A&M uh, after the catcher lost 12 pounds of just sweat in the first game. Mm. And I got to sit, sit in the stands and watch my brother coach his brains out. And I saw the team fight like they were being held underwater. I got to, I went to the first game. They went back to the hotel room. They were filling the tubs with the, with ice. They, the kids were changing their uniforms three times during the game because they were sweating through them. And then we, there, they were leading up until the eighth inning. And then in the ninth inning, the Aggies came back and I watched my brother throw every pitcher he had <laughs> at Adam to stop him. And there, by the end of the game, there was, there was a cat. There are two catchers in the bullpen and he lost the game, but I'd never been more proud of him. And it was real special to be there. It's real special to watch both of those games. It was special to be in a very hostile environment because I truly love that. I like it that it makes me feel so I, it makes me relaxed. I love it. I love that <laughs> feeling of confrontation. It's my favorite. And because it doesn't make me quiet, it makes me louder. And to watch my brother go down, you know, uh, I lifted a line from one of my favorite movies about brothers, which is a river runs through it. You know, and Mm -hmm. there's a line in that movie where he was, you know, talking about his brother and his brother, you know, get it dies. And his dad says, you know, I was driving in a tractor the next day. I was thinking about it and I was thinking about my dad and kind of heard my dad's voices like, well, how'd he do? I'm like, well, well, we lost. And he goes, well, can you tell me anything else? And I said, every bone in his hand was broken. And that was just because I knew my brother, just like anything, you know, he and I, we, we would never, we would fight until we couldn't breathe. It wasn't because, because neither one of us was going to give up because there was, you know, he wasn't going to let me win or he didn't want me to win. He just didn't want to lose. And I feel that way. And, and watching him coach that way. And honestly, such a great group of kids, like my, you know, my brother recruits just like even this year, their their team is just. Uh, I would let my daughter date any of them. They're just such good men. Their families are great. It's a real special group of people. And but baseball's hard. I mean, you got to do two of the three things really well every single game. You got to hit, field, and pitch. And if yep. whoever can do two of those three things better, then that game's going to win. Yep. But now college baseball has gotten to this level where anybody can win on any given day for any given reason. And, you know, now even the, the replay, the 22nd clock, I mean, all of this stuff is, is just added pressure to a game that was already hard, but now it like the scrutiny is even further. So it, it really does. It's like F1 where they just like, if a team's doing too well, oh, let's just, let's just change everything. So everybody has to, it gets flat again. Yeah. And 
you could have a, and I think that's the, the crazy part of what Kirk's really building. The process of what he's doing will be the thing that, you know, five and 10 years from now, that is, is going to be the next page 19 of Moneyball where it's anybody can win on any given day. So what's going to be the thing that makes you win today? And I think that that's the, the program that my brother's building. I, I don't know if he'd articulated that way and maybe he might tell me I'm dead wrong, but from what I'm looking at that John Wooden style, this is how you put on your socks. Let's play as a team. You know, team, the yourself is last and the team is first. That's that that is going real contrary to what the world is teaching every single young person this these days. And and I think yeah. what Kirk's trying to build is and along with all of his others, his staff is unbelievable from, you know, Meredith to to TJ to everybody there, you know, and John there. It's just such a great group of people. And they they've really they really got something special, I think, that's going to have to develop over a few years. But it's going to be oh, John Wooden. You know, I, it's going to be fun to watch. It'll well, be and, it'll be great to watch. And how cool was it for you when Sports Illustrated reached out and asked if they could republish? Were you just did you fall out of your chair? No, not really. I don't. It just kind of <laughs> happened, I guess. And I, you know, uh, how should I put it? It was. Uh, I mean, it, I think the best feeling about it was like if you read any of my social media stuff, it's like it's it's rarely about me. It's always me trying to you know gas up somebody else. Yeah, and yeah. And, you know, the fact that sports, you know, if I wrote something, if I wrote something about myself and Sports Illustrated put it in, I'd be like, geez, don't do that. (laughs) Well, listen, if it's about my brother, then I'm like, yeah, go for it. (laughs) You know, it was a it was a phenomenal tribute. And and any listeners out there, just just type in Keith Sarloos Sports Illustrated, and you'll be able to read it. And and Keith did a great job taking us through the, the situation. But it's a it's a beautiful writing. I'm not going to read it. I have it here to read, but I'm not going to check it out. It's 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 really well done. And uh, a compliment to you. Not from sitting in a tractor and cranking something like that out, huh? Not at all. It's really good. <laughs> but so we've covered a lot of ground here. And really now I want to go into kind of our third leg of this of this yeah. uh, stool and, and talk about the social media presence. And sure. Particularly on Instagram. I'm a follower and, and I really absolutely enjoy your posts. And it's something Thanks, that, man. you know, I, I tend to get on social media in the morning before I start my day when I'm drinking coffee, I just kind of see what's going on. And, and your, yours are, are ones that I, I really enjoy. And, and it's what I like about it so much is that it's not necessarily about the wine. It's you do a lot of things on farming, your insight and nature around you. Uh, I remember I got super excited about uh, the, the post you did on the Crick that's flowing yeah. through, <laughs> throwing through your property and yeah. just loved it. Right. And there was another one we were showing the buds on the vines yeah, and, and what that meant. You're telling a story. So um, I'm just, how did you get started with that perspective and, and kind of what's been your intent? Cause it's, it's bigger than Sarlos and Sons. I know that. Yeah. Um, well, how should I say it? It's, you know, going back to that Jacques Cousteau's quote, 
that I butchered at the beginning, but it's like, you know, if you, if you get to live an interesting life, you have no right to keep it to yourself. And for me, um, it's my, it's my little article. I get a right in the local paper, you know, that's all. I, that's all how I view it. It's just a little, nah, this is what's going on. But it started off just kind of that. And then I, I saw that when I would say something about somebody in my life, they appreciated it. They maybe they didn't say, Hey, I, thanks for writing that about me. They didn't say things like that, but I, I noticed a very small course correction or a, a leaning by the people I would write to about. And in a, in a negative way, you could call that like, you know, culture capture where Mm -hmm. somebody starts away and then they get positive reinforcement from people that follow them. And then a year later, you're like, who even is this person anymore? Because they just keep leaning and leaning and leaning into their own hype or leaning into people telling them they're great. And then pretty soon they're not even the person that started. Does that make sense? Yep. Sure does. Yeah. They're, they're 1% off course over a three years. That's a, that's a pretty big distance. But what I found was when I say great things about my dad or my mom or my family or just people I like or friends, it, it pumped them up a little bit Mm -hmm. and they leaned a little bit more into that positive. And that was something fun to watch in all honesty, Mm -hmm. you know, Hey, my dad did this yesterday. And then all of a sudden my dad's doing a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. And, and for my kids, it's me just having a very public journal that one day I won't be here and hope and I figured that that's a pretty good place, good place to hide it. That if they ever want to go back to it, there it is. Yeah. It's a, it's a daily, uh, reflection. And then, um, you know, again, when my dad passed away, the guy with the shield's gone and I was really taken off guard by losing him. And I never wanted to be off guard again. So when I get up first thing in the morning, I, I uh, answer a bunch of emails and stuff. And then I take a long shower and try to get myself ready for my terrifying day. And, (laughs) uh, and then I spend about a few minutes thinking about something I love and then focusing on how I would feel if it was gone. And I do it every day. I call it, you know, drinking the poison. And, you know, I've, I've experienced losing my kids hundreds of times and losing things I love. And then there's sometimes I think about something I think I love and then how I would feel if it was gone. And I, I don't, I don't really feel anything. Mm-hmm. And I realized, Oh, those are, maybe I don't need that. Um, and so, so, so social media had become 
in all honesty, an outlet to just be the person I want to be and then say it publicly and then have to live up to it because that's what I was doing for other people. And that's what I kind of started doing for myself. And what's become strange is like my goal is not to have a million followers. I don't, I don't want that. You know, I don't want, I don't want a lot of people, but I want people that really want to be there or think I have something to say and, and have a lot of interactions with. And it's just a, it's a, I don't, I don't view it as a, a social media. I'm, I basically hijacked Instagram and Twitter to a certain extent and Facebook because it just kind of auto populates across it. But I just kind of have used it as my own little soapbox and not that it, I care, you know, if you don't like it, then you don't have to follow me and that's perfectly fine. My goal isn't more, you know, but what I've found has been really neat is it's opened an opportunity for like just me and you talking today or getting, you know, direct messages from people who who lost their dad or, it gives me an opportunity yep. to help. And, and in the meantime, I get to say things I, you know, I, I could never have sat down with my brother and, and told that story to him because he never would have listened. Right. Mm-hmm. So I told mm-hmm. everybody and by yep. telling everybody, he knows, and my mom knows and my wife knows and my kids know and my cousins know and and I get to just share a little portion I know. of what yeah you know, <laughs> right you know what I mean yeah yeah but that's beautiful well, that's you know this this thread in your posts it's what makes it so unique to me is it's not it's it's not it's not about you the truth is your I don't know what I'm doing you. I bet I think that's the right answer Right. Well, that's and, and but there's but there's teaching in your posts. There's learning, and I'm interested in yeah. things and and the way you're presenting these little vignettes. And they're you know you know sixty seconds, twenty seconds, thirty seconds, a minute and a half, two minutes. But they're interesting and they're informative, um, and it's different than what my world's about every yeah. day, right? Right. And so yeah. I get to go somewhere else and learn something new in a few minutes and experience some different perspectives. And I'm like. This is filling up my cup. I love it. Yeah. Right. And that's, I think that would be the goal, you know, and I, I, probably the best thing that's come out of it, of doing it is that, you know, I get to think about something. It's always about something happened yesterday. It's rarely in the moment. And I get to reflect about it. And I know I have something to, you know, I have something to write tomorrow, but I'll think about, what I'm going to, you know, I don't really think about it at all, but whatever I'm bringing with me from yesterday is what I write about. Okay. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's the one thing I want to bring with me from yesterday. Yep. I, I, you know, because I had 15 minutes of a bad day or a fight with my wife, that doesn't mean I have a bad life or I have a bad marriage. It means we had a fight. And I'll, I'll reflect on that for the rest of the day and, and figure it out, but that it it sticks. And, and because of that, what I've been really 
one of the, the, the finer blessings of it is people come up to my mom all the time and say, hey, did you read what Keith wrote? And sometimes she has and sometimes she hasn't. <laughs> sometimes I call her and say, I wouldn't I wouldn't read what I wrote today because it'll make us mad <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, sure. But the fact that she could be sitting at a baseball game, watching her son, Kirk, coaching and, you know, hoping for the win and, and, and coaching to win. And someone comes up and says, hey, I love what your son wrote today. Your other son. Right. Yep. That that fills up my mom's cup. It's pretty cool. And she goes, she's, you know, she misses my dad and we all miss him. He was a big tree, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's also now a competition. It's who who is going to carry. If my dad passed away and that's it, that's not much. But who's going to carry that legacy? Who's going to carry on that last name and make it mean something? Who's going to be the person that pumps my mom up? Who's going to be the person that that fights for what we believe in as a family and the things that he believed very personally? Mm -hmm. It's not that, you know, it's a weird way to say this, but I remember the day my dad died and I was crying in a shower and a thought popped in my head. I've never told anybody this, but I real, I said to myself, you can go out and be an asshole and no one is going to call you on it ever again. Mm. And I, and I, and it, I had a, I had a moment of euphoria. Mm. And then I said, but is that what you're going to do? Yeah. And I said, no, I'm going to do the opposite of that. I need to be the person that my dad, like even today, I've said it to, you know, I said something the other day. If my dad showed up today and and stood in our vineyard and looked around and saw what was going on and walk, you know, saw my mom and how she's doing, saw her, his grandkids and his sons and his, and his daughter-in-laws, I want him to want to leave. I want him to go and 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 say, I tr- I prepared these kids, mm-hmm. and that's my goal. So when you go back to you know social media, it's just my little way to stand on a little soapbox and and hopefully say something in a way that makes people think. Maybe I said it in a new way. Maybe I made it easier. But I had a magic phone for a very, very long time where I could call somebody and he could give me advice. And mostly of a lot of the stuff I kind of put out there was just stuff that I kind of learned in my 47 years of, you know, having a great family around me and something that I think is real important because I know people that you know, everybody says they want to be happy, but I, I really don't. I don't want to be happy. I want to be satisfied. And, mm-hmm. you know, a post on Instagram every day or every other day as part of my daily ritual has become 
a portion of therapy and it and it also makes me try to live up to it. Well, Keith, you're doing it very, very well. And I just ask, I ask that you please continue because if, you know, my free book, Hey, if I, if I'm interested in what you're posting, I'm just the average everyday person out there. And, and I'm sure there are many more people just like me that are really enjoying it and, and getting good things out of it. Um, you're using social media for good. And uh, I'm really thankful yeah, for that. You know, I think it's a tool, right? It's just like anything else. The You know, when it's kind of started off, it's the way I view it is, you know, if I started my, my wine career 10 years earlier, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to get to do what I'm doing now because mm-hmm. now I get to be a loud voice alongside massive brands. And my voice can be heard just as loudly Mm -hmm. because it's not something it's, I don't have a, but like I do no advertising, $0 a year in advertising. And what I do is put my little thing out there. So you actually know who we are and know what we're doing, know what we're about. And if you agree with those things and you want to see us continue to do so, please vote with your money. You know, if you're going to drink a bottle of wine, I'd like it to be ours. And by putting all of that out there, yeah, we're we're either it or we're not. But I don't have to hide anything, and I don't have to lie, and I don't have to have strategy meetings. It's literally me, you know, pumping that thing out there. And then usually my wife calls me and says, "All right, here's the twelve things you spelled wrong," you know, because there's no first draft. It's just. <laughs> You know, it really oh is. Gosh, and it's, it's awesome. And I wish I put awesome. more thought into it. And, you know, but I, I think it's the no, rawness it's, and the honesty of it's it. It's really well done. Hopefully. And thank you. I, yeah. And it's and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. The uh, you've incorporated some some drone footages. I mean, one of my favorite views that you provided was you and the tractor mowing. And there's a drone flying overhead yeah. and and the rows and rows of the vineyards. Yeah. Uh, just amazing. And, you know, one of the posts you put on is I'm sitting here thinking, OK, why is he mowing? Well, you know, for those of you that aren't familiar with winemaking, I mean, wine is created on a hillside and there's yeah. reasons for that. Yep. But but there's erosion is a big problem particularly in california and so mm-hmm. you know what what keith came up with the concept of planting if you will i don't know if it's grass or hay but between yeah. each of of the rows of the vines and that keeps erosion from you know basically yep. making the, the vines go away but you got to mow it <laughs> so uh, it's just yeah. it's just really amazing stuff and it gets me it got me thinking about this whole wine business in a different way than just what you see at the local local liquor store. Well, it goes so, back to it. If you think of it's a beverage, you've missed 90% of the point. That's you know, it. it. Yep. It's, it's uh, it. And I always go back to the, the parts of I'm interested in things that people I like are interested in. Mm-hmm. And I learned a long time ago, somebody asks you like, do you know how to fly fish? Your answer should be No. If anybody asks you anything, just say no. Like, do you know how to do this? No. And that person will then give you their five things that they spent a lifetime figuring out. And they'll just tell you. And if I said yes, they never would have told me that. Yeah. And so I think about 
you know, social media to a certain extent where it was like, if somebody goes, why do you do this? I go, well, let me tell everybody. And it might not be right, but it's the reason we're doing it. <laughs> you know, so, such a good perspective. Yeah. Such a good perspective. But all right, well, been, the minute I'm hey, fooling been, myself, I wouldn't have done it, you know? So we've been going for quite a while. Oh, um, I apologize. Uh, today. To no, I've, <laughs> I've enjoyed it. And uh, normally I chop these up, but I, my, I believe I'm going to keep this thing. It's in, in fully intact because I think it's really powerful. Yeah. Joe Rogan, and, uh, he, he kind of pioneered the three hour podcast. Well, I, 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 I couldn't compare myself to Joe Rogan. But, no, I think, uh, by the way, you're doing a great company. job. Uh, here, I'm going <laughs> to well, tell you this. You. I have the easy part of this in all honesty. I should let everybody know that, you know, you sent me a nine page discussion organizer that I read through. And I honestly, I mean, we've never met in person, but the amount of effort you put into this was truly impressive. And to be the person on the other side, I mean, the fact that you're just sitting here asking me about questions or things that I already know the answer to, right, is easy. But for you to be a great host, that you you are really carrying a lot of the weight on this. And honestly, I know that you're how many how many episodes do you have out now? Like twenty five, forty, something like, like that. Yeah, somewhere in there. But the the fact that you are chopping wood, that you are working at this, that you put this level of intensity and effort into it, anybody would be lucky to be able to sit down with you and and do this because true truthfully you've come at this from a very professional uh uh attack point and I have no I, no doubt in my mind that if you stuck with this thing you you could you're re- you're doing all the heavy lifting that nobody else is wants to do and you'll get really good at this really quick so oh, I, I I just I, wanted to say thanks man I really appreciate the no, opportunity I, I, I appreciate it. And I, you know, listen, where that comes from is as I view this, your story and all of my guests stories as being very important. I'm blessed to be able to help share that through these, these podcasts. And so it's worth the time. Uh, and, you know, I didn't want this to be just guys getting on the, the phone, just rambling. I want sure. it to be a point. And, and your story has so many powerful elements that, that I think about young families that can understand what makes one family different from another. And, and your family story really lays that out really, really well. Um, how important that foundation and principles and, you know, having a family creed and, you know, loving each other and respecting each other, all those basic fundamentals that we all know, but sometimes you know, some haven't been as fortunate to see that in practice. And, and this is a beautiful, beautiful story that has all those principles and the success of, of you and your brother are no accident. It's exactly directly attributable to your grandparents and your parents. And it's, it's, so it's my pleasure and I I love it. So here's the, here's the takeaway from that. The takeaway from that is maybe you didn't have a big layer in your life, right? Maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't have a great mom. Maybe you didn't have a great dad, but there are people in your life you admire. And my suggestion to everyone is find people to admire and then find out why you admire them. And, and, and take just like when somebody goes, you know how to fly fish? No, let, let them tell you the things or ask them why they do what they do, like what you're doing right now. Right. And then become that person. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and then personify that for your kids. Because if you didn't have a great dad, then that's your that right now. Right now is your moment to be that for your kids. Because I'll go back to that that conversation, you know, and of the I think about it all the time. It's like I had a great dad and it's easy for me to believe in God. And if that's important to you, if you want to have a great family, if you want to have if you want to have generational wealth, it is honor those that have come before you prepare the way for those yet to come and and do that for everyone else around you and carry the boat. You know, all all of those things. It, it is just a it's a weird ball that kind of builds a life. You know, there is no straight line. It's it's how you react to things. But again, that, you know, be the per, be the change you want to see in the world. I mean, that's yeah. the only thing I can say. Keith, very well. I really said. appreciate it. I really, really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank no, you. Very this much. is fun. So we're gonna we're gonna wind up by doing a couple things that I do in every episode. And first I'm gonna ask you a question that uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. And I ask every guest this question. If you could go back yeah. twenty or thirty years, you know, to your eighteen year old self, what advice would you give yourself? That that's pretty. I would absolutely punch that guy in the face. <laughs> I would. First thing I did. First thing I would do is punch him in the face. All right. Then what like, would you tell him? I would. Um, I would honestly. I would probably have told him everything I just spit out right before you asked me that question. Okay. I would tell him to. Enjoy the process. That 15 minutes of a bad day doesn't mean you have a bad life. I would. I would tell him in all honesty. That. That the day he. He sees her. She's it. <laughs> um, that I would. Honestly, tell him to travel more. Uh, and then I wouldn't tell him much more. Because everything that has happened to me has shaped me to who I am today. And who I'm going to be, my whole goal every year is to bury the person I was that that last year. I don't want to peak I want to peak when I'm 85. I want to Beautiful. stand on the shoulders of things I've learned from my father, my grandfather and people I admire and put them into practice today. So the answer to that is I would, I would punch them straight in the face and, and I would tell him and, and try to try to set him straight without, you know, telling them too much, because I think the whole, the whole process of getting to hear from there are what you do overcome. It's what you, what you, when I cried and told my son, he's, his dad's not going to be a loser. I meant it. And then I, when I told my wife, we're either going to succeed or I'm going to die trying. I meant it. 
Yep. And when, you know, when my, I, when I lose my dad, I lose my best friend. I lose my advisor. I lot, you know, I had a, it wasn't my dad. It was a plane full of people that all looked like my dad. Mm-hmm. It was, it was the person, my first phone call, my, the guy, you know, I get stuck in the mud. He'll be there. You know, I, I lost that. And now I see how important it is. So I need to be that. So we are an amalgamation of everything that's ever happened to us and everything that's going to happen to us. But mostly that kid just needs to be punched in the face. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for sharing that, Keith. That is so on point. And it's a it's a great way to wrap up the, the three topics that we were covering today. So uh, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank now, you enough. I appreciate it. hundred percent, man. It's my pleasure. And uh, now we're going to a little fun segment here. Yes. I call it the rapid fire brains and brawn. Let's go. Uh, you're, you're the brains. I'm the brawn. So okay. here come the five quick questions. Give me your, what comes to the top of your head? What's your favorite movie? Oh, big Wednesday. Okay. I'm not familiar with that one. So I'm going to have to check it out. It's a great movie about uh, three phases of someone's life. There are three surfers that were down in Southern Cal, basically Southern California. It was filmed up here by Coho, but it goes from them in high school and then them as kids, them as young adults and them as men and how their lives change. And when I was a kid, I identified with the young as a young adult, I identified with the middle and now I'm identifying with the older. I love it. I'm going to ch- definitely check it out. We're it's a big a great movie, movie family. So thank great. you for that recommendation. Okay. What's your greatest accomplishment? <sighs> Hasn't happened yet. That's That says a lot coming from coming from you because you've accomplished quite a bit. Nah. So that's your relentless pursuit of excellence. Yeah. It's satisfaction over happiness. Yeah. All right. What is a goal that you are still chasing? Satisfaction over happiness. Yeah. I think that's for me, that's the massive one where um, I have no desire to be happy anymore. I have a, I have a relentless desire to become satisfied and I learned that recently. Uh, I was pretty overweight and uh, I went to the doctor and it was, you know, not great. And I said, what do I have to do? And he told me, and I said, okay. And in the last year I lost 70 pounds and just by sheer will and determination. And uh, because I realized that I was eating for pleasure because I love food. I mean, you want to, if I, if you pick anything that's pleasurable, I will show you how to do it to perfection where it does not destroy your life, you know? And I realized that for me, um, like there's never enough chips and salsa, right? There's just not ever. And for me, by being disciplined about that, it made it real easy to lose a bunch of weight. And I feel 25, I feel 25 again. And that to me told me that pleasure is how's the best way to put this. People want happy people want pleasure. 
but that's just the end result without the work. And satisfaction is what you feel when you put all of the work in and achieve something. You know, happiness is joy without achievement, I think is a good way to put it. And satisfaction Mm -hmm. is when you've put your heart and your effort into something and you've done it to a level where you have become satisfied with the effort you have put in. And I am constantly chasing satisfaction. I, I really like that perspective. Yeah, I really do. That's that, relatively that hits, home, that hits home. That hits home. That, yeah. that hits home. I mean, that I would say if, you know, like I said, like how I try to want to bury myself last year, or whoever I was, I think that's something I've learned in the last year that is definitely going to be in the tool belt for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, like, are you satisfied? And satisfaction is, ooh. Uh, especially when you find something you love and you're good at and the world needs it. And are you satisfied with your effort? Yeah. And very rarely do I ever say yes, but sometimes you feel it and you know, there's no cheat codes to that. You had to earn it. It's really good. It's really good. Okay. If you could spend the day with anyone past or present, who would that be? I think I'd like to hang out. This is a very weird way to put it, but for my own reasons. Uh, do I get to ask questions and stuff like that? Sure. Absolutely. You can, you're going to interact with this person. Just uh, absolutely. Okay. Who is it? I have an answer, but I don't like the, my answer. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, share it with us. Okay. Uh, for a bunch of different reasons, I'd like to spend the day with Lucifer. Really? And yeah, a hundred percent. Because that, that I, kind of, that kind of, it's kind of a scary thought. So no, give us some depth, depth into that answer. <sighs> I've always, you know, I've, uh, Ooh, this is a hot button, but why not? Um, there's gotta be a reason. And there's got to be a reason that uh, when if this is all if this was all perfection and beautiful and everything was working in just the perfect order, there's got to be a reason that uh, was it jealousy? Was it envy? Was it uh, anger? Because I can't imagine if you got to be in the presence of God and you got to be in perfection and you got to be in heaven. Why you would choose to be here. There's got to be a reason. Yeah. And. That's an unparalleled level of anger or hatred or um, envy or what or one of one of those emotions. But there's a greater story there that I don't know what it is. Yeah. And I would. I'd kind of like to know. The uh, probably could cut that from this whole podcast. But to me, that's probably that's my most honest answer. No, 
I'm not going to cut it. I, I'm interested in it because, and that's one of the reasons what intrigued me about you. And I'm, as I've been getting to know you, you're a very deep thinker and you think about the other side of the coin that, yeah. that I'm not necessarily thinking about. And, you know, I know uh, that, that, you know, you're a Christian and, yeah. and so that makes the answer even more intriguing, but, but it's because you look at both sides of the coin and you, you're, you're seeking that knowledge. And that to me is very refreshing. Um, and unfortunately I can't, I can't provide any insight. I know. And I don't, I don't even, think anybody I, I, could. I, I, I think, any that's why when you said it was anybody, I mean, yeah, I think that, I think anybody, you know, if you have anybody, you that is your quote unquote enemy. Um, a an open conversation would is probably the f- first and most valuable thing uh, you can have. Well, the art of war, you know, study your enemies, right? Yeah, and it's I don't, it's very interesting, and you bl- actually just blew the top of my mind off. Of my head. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it sounds like a weird thing, but it's like I, not to get too deep into this part of it, but it's like the the mindset of of who we are as people. Um, we consume, you know, we seek pleasure. We don't without effort. We people, you know, kids want to be famous without having done anything. You know, there mm-hmm. there seems to be a our brains are wired incorrectly for what would probably be best for us. Why is it? Why do we not become addicted, physically addicted to things that make us feel good, but we can get addicted to a drug very easily. Yeah. Um, there, there's something broken in here. Mm -hmm. And as a, like, you know, when somebody says, are you a Christian? The answer is yes. And when people say, how do you know there's a God? I said, well, I've seen gods show up so many times in so many unbelievable ways that if I would say there is no God, I know, I know myself to be a liar. So that's kind of where my faith comes from. It's not because of a book or because of this or that it's because I've experienced it. Like I can't explain God to you in such a way, just like I can't explain my wife to anybody in such a way that they will fall in love with her without knowing her. Right. 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 But there is a, there is a gaping hole in all of us that we are constantly trying to fill with a billion different things. And I don't know why. And if the, if the God of the universe is perfection, I would like to talk to the person that thinks he's wrong. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, you, I mean, literally you've got my brain, my brain spinning. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Directions. Sorry. I love it. By the no, way, no, that's no, the that's stuff awesome. that's bouncing around inside my head all day, but you know, I love I, it. That is I'd awesome. Like, I, if uh, that's why, that's why I was like, would I be safe? You know, that kind of thing, because it's like, <laughs> there's a certain level hey, of, here's the deal. Thing. You're not pretty crazy. You're not, you're not saying you want to want to hang out. You want to like be best buddies. You're saying, Hey, I want to, I want to find out more about why, because it doesn't make any sense. Well, I That's, guess the right answer to you would be like, if I had a podcast, who would you want to, who would be the number one person to interview? And a, yeah, Lucifer would probably be the right one. <laughs> not, not for me. I'd be but, scared to death. No, no, I understand. But, <laughs> yeah. but to be able to just ask and go, well, Oh yeah. Yeah. Why is, why is, why is perfection incorrect? What, what, what was it? 
You know, there, there's, a, there is some Oprah moment there. There absolutely is. So now this oh, makes sorry. I didn't question. mean to do that. No, I could I should, I, should have just said someone else. So. I don't know. No, not at all. Not at all. So, so this next question now may not be as exciting, but no, uh, I'll make it after I'll that. Make it exciting. If you want it, <laughs> where is your favorite place to travel or visit? Oh, I love coming home. That's the truth. I, you, um, you, you do live in a pretty spectacular place. I can yeah. tell you that. I, you That's, know, I love visiting places. I love figuring out, you know, what's, what is that about? Everything like that. But, uh, my, my, my wife will be the first person to tell you if we're leaving on Friday, right about Wednesday night, my mind goes to home and, uh, you know, what I have to do or what I want to do because I love vacations, but I also, uh, I can't sit still very well, you know, and that's a skill I've tried to learn, but I coming home, there's always something fun I've been missing. And when there's something I've been missing or something I want to make better or just drive an old truck or do something, um, I miss it. And at that, even when I was a little kid, you know, uh, I, I'd get homesick pretty bad. And, and as an adult, it's why I don't sell my wines in stores and restaurants. Cause I want to sleep in my bed every night. Yeah. And coming home i know the i know exactly where i'll be when all the windows in my truck will come down and and i can just smell this place and and it's home that's that's a that is a great answer yeah absolutely beautiful once again poetic oh geez thanks well keith we're gonna wrap this here any final thoughts for our audience today I think, you know, my, my, if anything we can do in this world, I hear a lot of people complaining about a lot of different things. And my, if I could say the lat, my, you know, my Jerry Springer final thought about all of this is the minute we start thinking about our stuff, ourselves being in a community, could be your town, could be your school, your business, whatever, could be just people you hang out with. Inside that community, if your community is the right size, there will be someone that's diametrically opposed to you. And the first thing we should do is find out if we actually are diametrically opposed or is there can we meet in the middle? And the meeting in the middle part of it is why do you feel the way you do? And understand it from their perspective, wear their shoes, understand their lives growing up, understand what makes them the way they are and then have empathy for it and say, Oh, you know, we're not so different. And I think the the most beautiful thing. And one of the people I think about a lot is uh, Anthony Bourdain. And one of the things I liked so much about that guy was no matter who he went with, when he would, when you sit down and you eat a meal with someone, even if they're your enemy or you're opposed to them or whatever, you see their kids climbing on top of them. You know, you see everybody hanging around. Someone will tell a joke. People will laugh that that table we all sit at is is the great unifier. And 
the more we do that, the more that we are not captured by our own cultures or our own hard held beliefs, the, the more we're open to experiencing other people and understanding them. And they will cause us to think in different ways and ask ourselves very difficult questions and make us a more well-rounded person. Because if you love where you live, you don't litter. And if everybody had that feeling, if everybody felt safe and secure, if everybody felt that everybody else in their community had their back, that we're all in it together, then we would we will go further farther and faster. And that would probably goes back to my, who would I like, who would I want to have dinner with question? But the more we do that, the better off we'll all be, you know, money's not the answer because there's not enough of it. Fame's not, not the answer because you'll never be famous enough. Uh, Nobody has it together and seek satisfaction. I think that's probably it. Keith, that is extremely well said. <laughs> Very well said. I should have prepared. <laughs> so, no, man, this is so good. And, uh, hey, I want to thank you again for this no. very memorable conversation. Dude, I have to thank you, man. I, again, you, you're very good at this. The effort you put into it shows how much you care. It was just an honor to just to, to sit here and talk. It was it was really an honor. And I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And, you know, before we disconnect, I'm sure our listeners want to connect with you in some way. What are the best ways that they could do that? Social media is really easy. It's at Sarlos and Sons, S is in Sam, A-A-R-L-O-O-S-A-N-D-S-O-N-S. Across Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, SarlosandSons.com. And if you send me an email, Keith at SarlesonSons.com, I'll probably answer it. And if you DM me, it'll only be me. So go to go to our website, buy a bunch of wine. A bottle a night is all we ask. And uh, <laughs> you know, enjoy your life. That's pretty much it. Yeah, so good. And and I can assure you that that following Keith on Instagram or Facebook will absolutely provide you some new perspective and great insights. Uh, and it's really a great way to start your day. So uh, check it out. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Well, that's a wrap for today's Brawny Conversations podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Keith Sarlus. And I also want to thank each of you for choosing to listen to this podcast. New episodes are posted each month. So please remember to follow us and let us help you shorten your learning curve. Have a great day, everyone. You have been listening to the Brawny Conversations podcast. Thank you for choosing to spend time with us today. And please subscribe to the podcast to receive our latest episodes and give us a follow on social media. New episodes are now in production and we can't wait to share them with you. Pursue your passions and help others along the way. Have a great day and thank you for listening.